This podcast is brought to you by patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Head there to check out exclusive podcasts like Talking Futurama, Talk King of the Hill, the What a Cartoon Movie podcast, and tons more. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons, the podcast more inspiring than great moments with Mr. Eisner. I'm one of your hosts, the Learning Derby winner, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who else is here with me today, as always? It's Henry Gilbert, and I welcome pissed off Catholics. And who is our special guest on the line? Scott Gerger is me. Hi, I'm from Podcast The Ride, and uh, I'm happy to talk to you guys again. Hey, hey, Bob, hey, Henry. And this week's episode is Special Edna. Well... If I may dust off an old chestnut, I caramba. I caramba indeed. This episode originally aired on January 5th, 2003, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. (gasps) Oh my god! Happy 2003, Bobby. This episode is slightly delayed by an NFL wildcard playoff game. The Catch Me If You Can fails to catch up with Lord of the Rings Two Towers at the box office. And Joe Millionaire debuts on Fox. So a big week for 2003 culture. Yes, the Joe Millionaire. Didn't they reboot that recently? Of like, I believe the concept is it's a guy who pretends to be rich in a Bachelor-style dating show, and then at the end he reveals he's not rich, and the test is will his the woman he picks still want to stay with him, I think? That was the premise of the original uh, series, the surprise I premise. Think, I think so. I think so. I feel like I vaguely recall that original. The original Joe Millionaire was like a pseudo celebrity for a second. That's your really your only hope of celebrity. If you're in the first (laughs) season of something, then maybe you could be kind of a star. But then if you're on like season 15 of The Voice, it's a tougher road. You got to do something really extreme to be memorable on those. Yeah, gimmickry has to abound. Some crazy hair, some crazy crazy braids that don't work on you, but people remember them. Catch me if you can. I remember. Remember that being a pretty good movie at the Spielberg DiCaprio Hanks movie the soundtrack in it was really great I recall and also as a comic book nerd back when the flash was like not a horrible horrible thing everybody knows about <laughs> now but back when it was just like a fun comic book there's a twist in the movie of like oh we know this uh, the, the liar in Catch Me If You Can, he must be young because he's using names from comic books like Barry Allen's The Flash. And back then I was like, wow, only I know this about The Flash instead of like uh, everybody knowing who Barry Allen is. <laughs> that he's yes, very I, well, obviously it's Barry Allen mania here at the end of Flash <laughs> Summer. I read that there was some article that said that the value of old Flash comic books is now down because the movie <laughs> left such a stink. It like cratered the Flash economy, retroactively ruined the value of Flash things. That's very impressive. I think if we just pull out to see the macro view of the world economy, the Flash was devastating to all of us. Just there's going to be a dip the two weeks it was basically relevant in theaters. There probably is some cause and effect. Like somehow our lives or finances are made worse. by uh, the Bread costs sure. more now for some reason. I don't know why, but it's Ezra Miller's fault. 
Well, no, Barbenheimer wiped all that out, guys. All that's gone now. We don't even remember that. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we will. it'll be a historic boom for the entire world economy. And now every other movie is getting delayed to next year, so they're the only movies we have to think about the rest of this year. Yeah, they're going to have to keep these in theater. Like, okay, everybody likes Barbenheimer? All right, well, uh, enjoy it in 18 months when these are still the only <laughs> movies in theaters. Yeah, you know, the two towers still doing great. I think, uh, Scott, you famously have not watched... Uh, um, have you not seen this one? Uh, no, I did say this on our podcast once that I only have seen some of the first Lord of the Rings on a school television, a four by three TV with the super widescreen squish, the opposite format you should watch it in. So I think I got poisoned. I saw it in the worst. Speak of Christopher Nolan. He's very picky <laughs> about how you see his films. That was the worst possible screening of Lord of the Rings. So I, I got a lot of work to do. I, I know they're good. I should see them. So 2003 was the two towers or was it the last one? Christmas 2002 was two towers and this is just being left over okay. from Christmas. I didn't see the last one and I forget what it's called. Beyond Return the Middle the Rings? What? Oh, Return <laughs> of the King. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Meanwhile, I saw it opening day after watching a in-theater marathon of the two extended editions. Though I was working at a movie theater then. This is prime Henry works at a movie theater era for me. <laughs> wow. Did you, like, feel ill by the... <laughs> end of that that's, uh, that's you don't feel great sitting that long and also when you watch the extended editions on the big screen instead of with the ability to pause you're like you know what these are too long especially return of the king is too long in the extended edition that's like i think 415 not counting the credits oh my god wow madness <laughs> But uh, joining us today is Scott Gardner of Podcast The Ride. Of course, Scott is here because this is a uh, tribute in big quotes to Epcot Center and all of its wonders, or shall I say blunders. <laughs> I, yeah, thank you for allowing me to represent Epcot Center and speak on Epcot Center's behalf in the face of a somewhat critical episode. I don't know if I'd call it a pro-Epcot episode, although I think some of the jokes are, are done with Epcot love. When I was thinking, like, who have we had on before who's the biggest Epcot fan? And I think of you, Scott, especially the, you know, Epcot's becoming something different now, but the very 1982 feel of OG Epcot, I think, is a very Scott Gardner style. I'm so happy to have you associate that with me. It definitely, it is an aesthetic and a place that speaks to me a lot. Henry, as you and I were DMing, it seems like we had similar Epcot arcs where it's not necessarily born from a childhood love of Epcot because as a child I could see some of what this Simpsons episode is saying that it's a little boring and the educational aspect of it overrides fun sometimes and even the education isn't always the most successful <laughs> and the like the weird corporate overlord nature of the sponsorships of uh, at Epcot Center I saw that as a kid and I recognized that and that was your take henry too this is the boring alternative to magic <laughs> kingdom where my favorite characters live exactly the quick version of this that uh, listeners maybe have heard me tell before but i didn't get to go to magic kingdom uh, until a few years after i went to epcot and this is a kid complaining about getting to go on a class field trip to epcot but <laughs> i grew up in florida and so we could go on a holiday uh, like class field trips for the year would be to theme parks and it was insisted that we'd go to Epcot because it was educational and we wanted the kids to learn something. And especially if you're in Epcot, knowing that you're this close to Magic Kingdom that you've never been to before, but you can't go, like that, that
that is very upsetting and especially Torture. because like i didn't care about other cultures <laughs> i was like i don't care i'm in <laughs> france or whatever and and so yeah i i was very negative on it the first time and uh, then once i became more of a parks person when i visited epcot in 2014 as a man in my 30s that was when i was like i actually love eating all the food in all the different countries i like the ancient musty 80s aesthetic of it and because kids hate it this has the fewest kids in it so i yeah. can like eat fish and chips and not be surrounded by a bunch of kids oh and also when i went there to epcot one day the one thing i was like well i can't do star tours which i never got to do in uh, old version i never got to do old star tours oh, but no. i was like oh, well they got loss. body wars here we can do body wars but no body wars was closed that day i couldn't even do mm. the fake star tours you couldn't even so. do the star tours where instead of space you go into a, a human bloodstream and it's mm -hmm. a ride that like made people pass out because it's kind of disturbing in its very realistic depressing depiction of anatomy it's kind of my journey with epcot and my wife's journey as well she's definitely somebody who like went as a kid was like boring i don't want to come back here and i kind of caught up to it a little bit before her and i got to share the magic with her i think it all clicked with me i did a family trip kind of around when this episode aired i think in, in 2003 and i was like all right wow great disney hollywood studios and magic kingdom excited for those and i'll do epcot i guess i'll go I, there's a ride or two i haven't been on and then the magic of it really set in for me on that i just started going like boy this is weird i've never stepped back and thought about what a weird place epcot center is yeah it's this vision of the future but also at this point it's time travel to the early 80s it, it does feel like you were literally going back at that point 20 years i don't know how long been in f40 and uh, um it's it's just like it's profoundly odd that a place that you associate with like fantasy and and fairy tales that now they have this place with just big scary monolithic buildings and rides that are almost abstract in their level of like length <laughs> and darkness and what are they even telling us here like i mean for any listeners who haven't been to epcot center you know if you know pirates of the caribbean this i get all right so there's a ton of animatronics and it's like going into the world of pirates and now in epcot center there's rides where there's double the animatronics of pirates of the caribbean but it's to tell you about the history of transportation and it's not like you know <laughs> you know chasing people around and lighting fires it's like you know what if a buggy crashed and like what did scientists in the late 60s look like? And let's see Leonardo da Vinci doing his early works. And like, it's so insane. The, the level of money and detail put into these like not kid friendly. Some of these Epcot rides feel like the equivalent of like Barry Lyndon or something. Just like a, like a big <laughs> ponderous, serious, like, you know, no, no, no. This is not about fun. This is an experience and you're going to think and you're going to escape for a ride that takes... 15 minutes and that's very dark i don't know i think the oddity of all this just washed over me around 2003 and then i started getting obsessed with it the aesthetics of epcot center i truly believe in and still believe in and it really influenced my show moonbeam city i just really wanted to make a world of like big weird orbs and that's kind of future by way of <laughs> 80s so i i remember getting to like turn my wife on to all this that she's like epcot epcot sucks and i'm like well but do you know there's a weird thing about it and the old logos are cool and the old fonts are cool awake Awakening as an Epcot fan has provided me so many thrills aesthetically and like fun with friends and meeting people who love that aesthetic too. It's just, it's, it is a, a true passion of mine. Hopefully I've kind of conveyed why. 
Well, I've been very silent because I have not been to Epcot. I've not been in Florida at any point in my life. A guy wow. who has, though, is uh, Al Jean. So this episode is based uh -huh. on Al Jean's axe to grind with uh, Epcot Center. He talks in the commentary that he and his writing partner, Mike Reese, were there on the ground floor the year that it opened, 1982. They were there, like, when it was new. And Al Jean's comments are, it was so lame and everyone was so angry, we thought they were going to riot. He, he like, just felt it in the air. It was palpable. The rage at how lame Epcot was. Oh and then, uh, speaking of complaining about free trips, Henry, Al Jean, when he worked for Disney before he works for Disney now, he would get the annual pass as a Disney employee. And uh, he was busy being a showrunner and you know all the other stuff so he could only take his kids to Disney World during the holidays and Disney the Magic Kingdom was always full so he would always have to take his kids to Epcot Center and they began to resent him for it by the second or third time <laughs> they would say are we actually going to Epcot Center again so maybe his thoughts have changed maybe we'll see uh, Simpsons go to Epcot short on Disney Plus in the future but yeah he <laughs> is not a fan of Epcot Center which is why the parody is so thinly veiled he really wants you to know no this is what i hate do not be confused it's epcot <laughs> wow yeah no you feel the rage look i can't pretend this stuff isn't real i know that there is this reaction i know that kids of a certain age went there and 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 were bored by it i had that as a kid a little bit but i think if you it just has to hit you in the right way you know it's not dissimilar from one of my favorite bands steely dan i like <laughs> it can be a little bit challenging you know it, i think i first heard of steely dan and like oh these like big indecipherable lyrics and the songs are seven minutes and that sounds and then at a certain age i was like this is the greatest thing ever and i will never <laughs> stop listening to this and plus both epcot and steely dan pair very well with wine so <laughs> you put all that together and you've got a nice rest and you realize these things are more accessible than you think I don't know if it'll ever hit Al Jean, but I actually think it's like the most likely to be your favorite park as an adult. I think that might be true for you, Bob, if you ever make it down there. Definitely a turn for me in my Epcot love was being of legal drinking age. <laughs> uh, that That is for sure. Yeah. It's but, important. Yeah. It, you cannot discount in theme park world like the park where you can drink. And like California Adventure, which had a really bad rap and was pretty bad, I feel like, when it opened, that became like, well, one of the only bits of appeal for a lot of people is that you can drink there as opposed to Disneyland proper, and that there is this little wine area that's very charming, and that like the rides kind of, like Soren feels like a wine tour of a, of a <laughs> ride. Now there's so much more, to, now California Adventure, I think, is a great park, but I feel like that was, you know, the, the, uh, the wind that it sailed to victory on, I think a lot of it was was fueled by hey but you can drink it goes a long way it goes a very long way one of my favorite podcast ride episodes most informative for this podcast too was you're one of epcot's impressions de france with matt warburton yes who's also present on the dvd commentary for this one. Oh, gotcha and you guys ask him like oh what simpsons had a real axe to grind with dca when it was brand new and he's like that was al Jean. like he really hated it in the launch and we put in <laughs> multiple jokes in there mocking it like al Jean is a big parks guy but i think an angry parks guy huh but he wants wants his basics he doesn't want to be challenged and he yeah what you said the joke was uh, i don't remember the episode but it's it is 
there's there's something lame and then uh, does lisa oh they're in a prison and lisa says still beats disney california adventure the whole family goes like haha even oh wow well that's a big well you know hey it was a rough start for that place as opposed to uh, boy you know i also i kind of hate the opinion that it was horrible in 82 because i would go boy like give me a time machine i think one of the first things i do is go see fresh new (laughs) epcot center in 1982 when i fell in love with the aesthetic there are these videos and t-shirts and posters that you can get with these just cool stripes and it is this just very dramatic almost kubrick-esque like uh view of space and spaceship earth the big you know the ball the emblem of epcot and the very dramatic phrase the future begins October 1st, 1982. I am in love with that phrase. Ever since any art I've seen with that, I'm like, I want to know how that felt. If you bought into that and you were there in October 1982, were you like just blown away? <laughs> like blown back by emotion? Or did you hate it like Al Jean? I don't know. Apparently, if you recently got out of Harvard, not impressed. Not impressed at all. <laughs> that might be the rule. You've, you've outsmarted it. I'm too smart for... Uh, I know about real culture. I don't want to see the fake Europe. I also... You know what's interesting with me, too, is that um, World Showcase is not really the full deal for me. I, I, I'm so much more future world oriented than, than World Showcase. Future world being, you know, there's like the future... It's two parks in one. There's the, the big futuristic uh, uh, area, and then there's the tour of the nations kind of area. And I like that, but that's never been the... The, the appeal for me. And I could see if you were snarky about Epcot saying like, oh yeah, so people don't, you know, actually go to Europe because they just go to the little fake Europe. I, I That's a snooty thing to say, but I guess I could understand if you were a little snobbish. Oh, it's this cheap stucco mini golf course version of Europe instead of the real thing. But li- also, shut up. I don't know. It's <laughs> like everybody should go to real Europe and go to fake Europe. Do it all. I think there's room for all of it. For high and low. And apparently another inspiration for this was that Al Jean heard that they held teaching awards at Epcot. According to my research, it only happened there one year in 1993. But for a, I think like 13 or 14 year period, Disney had something called the American Teacher Awards. And Scott, I know you probably love getting unsolicited podcast subject matter, but the Disney Channel did air some of these in full on their network. And one of them is on YouTube and it is as long as the Oscars. Wow. Oh my God. That's insane. How? There are musical numbers. It's a big production, but it is still the American Teacher Awards. Yeah, I. Strange. I skipped around. In, is that the 1992 one, Bob? Because I skipped oh. around a little in that, too. Uh, the 1991 uh, oh, is, one is the one I saw. Like Everything is preserved. All the commercials are there, but it is a three-hour running time for this teaching awards. They truly had nothing else to run on that network that you were paying for in 1990, I guess. <laughs> there was a lot of, like as with all early cable channels, I know there was a lot of like repurposed Canadian content. I've heard the show Under the Umbrella Tree. It's a very <laughs> Canadian-feeling kids show. The Disney Channel, I feel like, was doing a lot of repurposed purposing so like yeah i guess if we're gonna make an original award show just stretch it out make it long and air it uh 12 times this month i remember that being on the disney channel and thinking that seems uh, boring so i have never (laughs) pursued it sounds very fascinating though i think joey lawrence might have hosted one of them is that the who was on your one henry i saw a getty image from the like step and repeat of that so the 1992 one that i saw it's it's a full two hours only they must have shortened it by 92 (laughs) but it was famous as uh we'll talk about this later in this season but 
you may remember on the Krusty Gets Cancelled one, they mentioned how like this was one of the last times Johnny Carson appeared anywhere and spoke. And the other one was this award show in 1992. Johnny Carson appears at it. That's bonkers. Like, not even a year out from retirement. They got Johnny Carson. Was this just the power of Eisner? Because I know that was a real Eisner mm. passion project. I saw just a little clip reel of that show, and it seems like in various years they had Schwarzenegger and Dustin Hoffman well, and like also there is a 10 minute long intense and rather cringy play of but I don't want to be too negative about it because it's like written by high school students but basically the Van Nuys High School does like a full play and musical about the kids reacting to the Rodney King riots the Rodney oh. King verdict riots and it is it's kind of intense and wow. I'm like wow this is this is on stage like there's you know african-american students talking about how they're feeling and then an asian student is talking about how he has a gun on top of his family shop and he's going to shoot anybody who comes at his shop and i was like damn this is heavy after that they would show like the apple dumpling gang (laughs) (laughs) yeah condor man and then whatever we got lying around that's Uh, nuts what a we okay well we clearly have to pursue this eisner who was referenced in this episode boy it speaks to if he called you had to do whatever he said robin williams had to come do original teacher material at the american (laughs) teacher awards power he wielded which i guess hey for a good cause to honor teachers but then it is like again it's cool that they did that that's a nice thing and my mom's a teacher i care about teachers and they should be honored by big stars but it also makes sense to me that like people maybe didn't watch that the simpsons joke that there is no one in the audience for their (laughs) equivalent of the teacher awards yeah i could see that that makes sense i can't deny that side of things yeah i couldn't tell exactly when it stopped but you know uh in 2022 in a press release about walt disney world's 50th anniversary they're still bragging like and you know what we honored so many teachers at walt disney world in our 50 years like so (laughs) they were still talking it up at the very until we could no longer write it off on our taxes And now, of course, Florida is such a great place for teachers. They get it. It's so great. in Florida. When you think Orlando, Florida, and teachers, you think safe teachers who are treated well by the government and parents. <laughs> yes, great treatment of teachers who have totally free reign to put any books they want. <laughs> they were in no uh, way and- victimized by, like, one crazy person who spends all their time trying to get books banned. Oh, I, boy. I did see recent nominees for the National Teacher of the Year, a different award ceremony. They were saying, like, uh, since we got nominated, we have been sent death threats for having pro-LGBTQ views or or they teach CRT. And so it, it made them, the nomination made them famous enough to be, like, targeted for death threats. So Okay, so, so now stuff. you want to avoid being nominated for teacher of the year at all costs but now (laughs) bart would do it as a punishment for grabobble it'd be one of his most epic pranks you're right (laughs) (laughs) so yes there is a new writer for this episode dennis snee let's talk about who he is so who is this new writer uh i know what you're thinking he is not captain hook's right hand man though i understand why you would think that but dennis snee is another one of those simpsons freelancers from this era of the show who are coming to the series with a lot of sitcom writing experience so much so that this is dennis snee's final writing credit and we just saw another example of that with helter shelter man there it's like back to back they're giving these guys up i'll just keep repeating myself on this but it's like al Jean's giving jobs to old guys like not to new young writers 
writers, but to old guys to, uh, on on a pretty big deal to get a freelance Simpson script, you know. But I, I do think they have yeah. the feeling of, uh, we'll be rewriting the crap out of these anyway. So let's just get a trustworthy old hand who we know can just get us a first draft pretty good. And uh, as we record this, we're in the middle of the WGA and the Actors Guild strikes. And it is funny to look at a career like Dennis Sneeze in which he basically retired after 25 years in the business, which is something that should happen, but really can't happen anymore. And, you know, Al Jean is the showrunner by choice. He's not the showrunner because he has to uh, make a living at this point, but he is like in his 43rd or 44th year as a comedy writer professionally. So we can see how things are different between different generations. Mm -hmm. Though I I should say, uh, yeah, Al Gene has been very vocal online uh, and in interviews about the currently going on when we're recording this strike. And he's, I saw one of him even saying like, yeah, the young people don't get the opportunities I had. Like he's at least recognizing that, which is, is good to see today. Yes, I mean, Al Jean could have retired in the year 2000. Mike Reese semi-retired in like 1997, and nobody can do that now. Mike Reese, after maybe, I guess, 15 years of being a professional comedy writer, had the the largesse to actually just leave the industry entirely and maybe work one day a week, you know, on The Simpsons. He also doesn't have children and has never been divorced, to my knowledge. So that probably helps Mike Reese save some money in Hollywood. No children, but one podcast to feed. Yes, yeah. Yes, so Dennis Snee, where did he come from? Well, he is one of those guys that I don't really think exists anymore in that he is basically just like a joke writer, a joke machine who occasionally wrote sitcoms. So he started his career in the early 80s as a writer for comedians like Rodney Dangerfield. Yes, he was a writer on the movie Back to School. He wrote jokes for Joan Rivers. Yes, he wrote for her talk show and uh, even David Brenner. And eventually he became a writer on Johnny Carson's The Tonight Show. But this was before uh, Al Jean and Mike Reese's time on the show. Uh, In fact, I forget if I said this earlier, but we just had recorded with Scott for two and a half hours, so I'm sorry. But he got his start in college by submitting jokes to Rodney Dangerfield. And Rodney's like, hey, this kid's pretty funny. And then he kind of sounded like Barney Rubble in my impression, but I'm sure he didn't in real life. You know, again, that's funny that here he is, a young guy in college getting such a big opportunity. And then when he's like 51, Al Jean's like, "Mm, I don't want to give somebody fresh out of college an opportunity. I want to give it to Dennis Snee. (laughs) So Rodney Dangerfield, more progressive. (laughs) Um, Seemed like a good guy with a lot of demons, uh, that Rodney Dangerfield. But uh, weirdly, one of this guy's, uh, Dennis Snee, one of his longest gigs as a writer was for the syndicated music series Solid Gold, which was basically like American Bandstand or Soul Train. These are also old references, so I'm sorry if I'm not helping you here. But uh, apparently there were comedic co-hosts. Arsenio Hall was one of them at one point, and I'm sure they needed jokes written for them. So I'm pretty sure this was a very easy gig for Dennis Snee, a joke machine, a guy who wrote jokes for stand-up comedy, a guy presumably writing monologue jokes for Johnny Carson. He, they just set him up, tell him what he needs to do, and he'll just shoot out jokes for a TV show. It's interesting he made that transition by the 90s from back to school technically is a like plot driven thing but to go from like variety with sketches and joke writing to you know full 30 minute productions of sitcoms like it it takes different muscles than just writing you know jokes for Joan Rivers and and Rodney Dangerfield which does take skill as a comedic writer but that's it's not the same as writing a sitcom right and I was looking to see if he crossed over with any Simpsons writers and it's a possibility because he was a writer and producer on uh, Empty 
Nest and uh, Rob Lezebnik. Uh, that was one of his earlier roles as a writer. And he was also a writer and producer on In Living Color in the early 90s. And that's where Mark Wilmore came from. So those are basically the two times Dennis Snee was a producer on a show. Usually he was just a gun for hire in terms of writing freelance scripts, just like with this episode. I mean, Solid Gold, that's a very, like, nobody remember. I only know Solid Gold is like a reference on MST3K. Like, it's <laughs> yes, it is just like, what is the cheesiest thing you can watch on Saturdays? That And you're just a loser because you have nothing better to do. I'm at home watching reruns of Solid Gold. The Simpsons will be right back. Springfield, USA. Road rage capital of the world. Here a driver's license is licensed for chaos and anarchy. I have no insurance. The daily commute is a struggle for survival. Eight clown car, jerks. Even the sidewalks aren't safe. I hope that was a cat. And the police are helpless to stop it. Just think how fast we could go if my siren worked. Where mayhem reigns and madness rules the road. Time for some road rage, Simpson style. Rated T for teen. Is this true, listeners? Hey, it's Henry Gilbert, and a big thank you to our guest this week, Scott Gardner. Big fans of Scott, and if you love the subject of this episode, all of our park talk, you're going to love his podcast that he co-hosts, Podcast to Right. It's such a fun podcast where it just begins with the kind of nerdy talk about theme parks and grows from there. You need to check it all out for yourself. and Follow him on Twitter, Scott Gardner, and Podcast to Ride. Thank you so much again, Scott. It was so great having you back on. And if you enjoy the talking simpsons podcast then you should know that we're only able to do it as our full-time jobs because of support at patreon.com slash talking simpsons listeners like you can go there to sign up for five bucks a month to keep this show going as me and bob's full-time jobs plus you can also get tons of exclusive bonus features. Five bucks a month gets you a monthly new episode of Talking Futurama and of Talk King of the Hill, us covering each of those series one episode at a time. We're in season four of Futurama, season three of King of the Hill, as well as many of our favorite episodes of Batman the Animated Series, every episode of The Critic, every episode of Mission Hill, and tons and tons more. See it all for yourself at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. But if you want something even nicer than Eastern Airways, you need to sign up at the $10 level for our monthly exclusive bonus podcast on top of all the other $5 things I just mentioned. I'm talking about what a cartoon movie, us talking about an animated feature film, crazy in depth, just like we do an episode of The Simpsons, often over four, five, or even six hours long. We just finished our summer of Pixar, where we covered a ton of movies that if you like all the Disney park talk in this episode, I think you'll love hearing us talk about Toy Story 4. The Incredibles, A Bug's Life, and Cars. And this month, we're starting out the spooky season right by talking about Corpse Bride, the spiritual follow-up to The Nightmare Before Christmas. And there's so, so many more on the horizon, including next month, we're covering Project Aiko. We've covered everything from Akira to a Goofy movie, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse to Beavs and Butthead do the universe, and our longest podcast ever, you'll get six and a half hours long about who framed Roger Rabbit. There's so much great stuff there so please check it all out for yourself once more at patreon.com slash talking simpsons
I guess it um, also had like the Baywatch effect of like there were babes on it, so you'd be watching it oh, to see sexy dancers, I think. The solid gold dancers, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, he's a comedy gun for hire, Dennis Snee. He would write for sitcoms like uh, Babes and Mr. Belvedere, Family Matters, The Wayans Brothers, Third Rock from the Sun, and he was also a longtime writer for Mad Magazine between uh, 1977 and 2009. He was writing on and off for Mad Magazine. Wow. So, uh, uh, he, he must have been greatly respected by the Simpsons staff with all of these accolades. Oh, yeah. Ignoring they, Solid Gold. Ignoring <laughs> that completely. Yeah, I mean, well, they love Mad Magazine at the, the Simpsons, as we've covered many times before. And to end this little bio, unfortunately, Dennis Snee passed away at age 68 on July 1st of 2019. And, and I learned a few things in his obituary. Uh, one of the interesting facts was he helped coach uh, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney for debates for the year 2000 election. And, you know, I would hold that against him, but uh, pre-9-11 George W. Bush was very different from post 9-11 no I wouldn't have voted for him but honestly how far uh, much more to the left is Joe Biden from a year 2000 <laughs> George W. Bush yeah I the the bit in the obituary that gave me pause was how it was phrased of like Dennis was thrilled to assist the Bush Cheney campaign with debate preparation I was like y you have to let us know he's thrilled though I was thinking like in the context of it was written in 2019 so it could be fueled by making it clear of like it also is very clear what a Christian he was and and all that in his obituary too but it might have been him saying like hey look I'm a Bush Republican I'm an anti-Trump guy it maybe is his flavor by that because again he wrote it in 2019 or yeah I mean, but family. also i mean every joke about voting in the late 90s early aughts before 9-11 was basically both guys are the same who cares and uh bush seemed like much less of a threat before 9-11 so he was probably conservative in in the 90s cent which is basically like a democrat today for all intents and purposes i did see he was like an rotc graduate too or something that was also in his obituary but i mean he seems like a nice enough guy but they got no stories about him on the commentary it really does sound like they handed him the script and they don't say anything of like and then dennis pitched this or Dennis pitched that they don't say nothing about that on on the conference. yeah I mean honestly I don't think he was in the room I think he's like here's your assignment he handed off a script and they punched it up and it went on the air here's and twenty thousand uh, dollars see you later <laughs> the the most uh, I, I honestly think it was much more than that in a uh, year 2000 uh, maybe one prices for a broadcast TV show yeah. I don't know but uh, the royalties were much different the only story that's told on the podcast is I believe Tom Gamble saying Dennis Snee sounds like a Johnny Carson character name Right, yes. Dennis Snee. Well, that's that's Gamble for you. He he's he always has tonight's show brain, I think. Uh, he's always thinking of pitches. <laughs> so yes, that is the story of Snee. But I guess the episode itself, after a cute couch gag about the Simpsons being deep fried, we then cut to the classroom and I think something I like about I, I like the intention of it, and it works sometimes, is that Al Jean is trying to remember the runners they did in, you know, 10 years earlier. And so like, hey, remember how, you know, uh, Edna was a bad teacher and her and Bart connect? Or remember how, like, everybody hates Martin because he's the class suck up? Like, let's do those jokes again. We haven't done those in a while. And I kind of like that spirit, uh, at the very least, which comes through in this opening bit here. Oh, sure. Um, Just good classic Springfield Elementary hijinks, for sure. Mm -hmm. and, and I like that Martin, Martin Prince is seemingly murdered. Like he, <laughs> he's, he says the quickness that he's beaten between clips of, of trying to assign extra homework and then he's just gone and Nelson's talking from an open window. It's like, okay, so Martin's dead. Martin is, <laughs> is dead now. Uh, that, so did, that, that also feels very 
pre-personal computers, the joke of like, oh, it's going to make it harder for all the kids to type it out because the kids will have to get to a typewriter to to turn it in. It's more of a hassle instead of like, if I was a child now and I had to write it longhand, I'd be pretty pissed. If I had even printed out to give in an essay to a teacher, I'd be like, can't I just email this in as just a file <laughs> I or feel share like the Google Doc? Kids are going to have to start writing everything because otherwise it would just be them saying, okay, chat GPT, tell me about World War One and make it look like a fourth grader wrote a go and then spits it oh, out uh, yeah oh that's gonna screw the uh the the essay world <laughs> oh boy i got a three-year-old by the time he's at essay writing it or i let him do it because otherwise i have to help write the paper <laughs> so maybe yeah. actually maybe maybe i take that back maybe dad will turn to uh to chat gbt <laughs> Uh, I just don't know, for suddenly... that, not for scripts. I'm in the Writers Guild. I'm anti-AI. But look, you know, <laughs> hey, I don't know how hard these essays are going to be to write. I'm just keeping I, options on the table. It's it's one of the times where they forget Bard is 10 because I don't think I started writing 10-page papers until I was in college. Maybe in, in senior year of high school, that's when the paper length got really bloated. But they kind of forget that, oh, Bart would not be doing research papers that are cited with, uh, you know, multiple, let's say... Oh. Three to five thousand words. That's true. Yeah, World War One is a, such a heavy top. I was almost shocked by that uh, entering the Simpsons world in any way. Well, World War One is so boring. Like, and there's no like easy villains like the Nazis, and it's just a slog. When I had to, I never really studied World War One until my first year of college. And even my history teacher, who I really liked, and was he made he made learning fun. But his he, even he was like, World War One sucks. It's boring. And also <laughs> for even Americans, you can't even be that proud because he compared it to basically there's a very long boxing match, and then on the eleventh round, a third boxer shows up and punches one of them and that's america and so you're like well <laughs> we can't even have that much american pride in it. <laughs> oh that's gonna help you know if i ever look into it i'll use that as my guide <laughs> you just gave me the elevator pitch for world war one <laughs> there was just a world war one movie that got oscar nominated though it felt very perfunctory that all quiet on the western front like that felt like the only oscar movie last year i didn't know anybody who watched it <laughs> yes yeah. that felt felt like a chore perhaps yes I blame the Europeans for voting in it. That's why I think they care more. About it was really the eat your vegetables pick for the Oscars that year. <laughs> well, uh, wait, the, the, hopefully we get Sound of Freedom in uh, for uh, next year. <laughs> if we want to represent America and what America's all about. If they aren't too scared to make that one of the ten. <laughs> Millhouse also, he tries to do what looks to be... Uh, is it the Roger Rabbit or the Running Man? Look, we're not we're not dance experts here. I only know the Roger Rabbit because it's named after my favorite cartoon character. But he's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so we then get reminded of Edna and Skinner's relationship, which, so do you, okay, this is a bigger question about this whole episode, but I definitely think, and I'm curious what you guys think, I think that Al Jean viewed Edna and Skinner as another of those inherited storylines from before his time, and this episode is him trying to make it work in his world of The Simpsons, and then by the next season he decides it doesn't work and we're ending this. But well, I'm curious, what do you guys think? It definitely does feel like that, Henry, because I was looking at the timeline and they have about a year left in their relationship and they're broken up in a very, uh, I, I feel like the way they're broken up was not very clever or interesting. Uh, they're about to get married and suddenly Edna leaves him for comic book guy. And I think yes, it's because they thought of the title, My Big Fat Geek Wedding first and then worked backwards from that. I don't know. But I love them together. They're a great couple because they both kind of come out of their shells in their own way when they're around each other and 
and uh, Grade School Confidential, the great season eight episode, is probably in my top three. It's such a sweet, well-written and well-animated episode that I kind of hate uh, seeing this all fall apart. And then they're like, uh, what if she gets with Ned? Oh, uh, now the voice actor's dead and Ned is now double cursed. So it doesn't really go anywhere interesting. And then they kind of make Skinner even more of a loser after the Edna breakup. So, but yeah, you're right, Henry. I do feel like Al Jean um, saw a lot of the canon changes as things he had to fix. And he has been doing that uh, so far in his two years, uh, taking back over the show again. I feel like... I tend to like when these relationships come together and then I'm I'm never as satisfied by like delving in more, you know? Like I I agree. Great school of confidentials wonderful that when the police light is shooting through the the colander and then it makes this beautiful light for them to dance in like what a what a sweet uh uh, uh you know picturesque moment but i yeah it's like i i find the pairings interesting to start and then i i don't necessarily want to see like the ongoing soap opera oh you know like a a, a poo manjula kind of similar like i get well i get i don't know like i i like the new i like that they got together and then i like all the kids the i forget how many kids there were octuplets um but yeah. then like like further steps of it don't like super do it for me i guess it is it's similar to me to the death of Maud flanders where uh sure you can break up skinner and edna but i wish you would have done it in a more thoughtful way because it just felt like eh, let's split them up again who cares it didn't feel like people are invested in this relationship they like these two together let's do this in a way that respects the characters it just felt kind of thrown off just as a way to correct a choice that had been made not by that showrunner isn't it interesting to see how the like like earlier ones like there will be a lot of heart in, an, in a relationship that even like comes and goes in an episode like fish called selma how much you like boy what a journey you go on in that relationship that starts and ends within the episode and later like patty and selma i feel like are just kind of arbitrarily shoved into I like I cannot think of uh, any later satisfying Patty or Selma relationship. But remember, this is 2003. There's no time for heart. It's just it's all gross out comedy and dark darkness. Yeah, yeah. It's often like disturbing. That's the thing I remember because I probably drifted off from the show around this time. I just remember something where like Homer ended up with like a coin in his hand or in his head or something he squeezes a penny so hard it enters his bloodstream yeah yes. yeah and i don't know why that one it's not like that moment should be enough to get me to stop watching the show but it felt emblematic of there were a lot of things like that like characters getting hurt in ways that were less funny and more like disturbing cosmically oh, we, we all remember the panda love we all remember mm-hmm. that uh homer homer being loved very hard by panda oh uh, i think i had forgot i think i repressed this memory oh no <laughs> trauma I, I, I mean i feel like <laughs> It was, it was just the state of comedy in the early aughts. If you look at any studio comedy, they're just unwatchable now outside of a very, very select few. They're just all so mean-spirited and, and cruel and just uh, gross out usually. Yeah, true. I guess, yeah, kind of the thing of the time. Un- unrated DVDs. Again, sometimes oh, yeah. Simpsons was chasing that vibe too. I can think of like maybe, uh, uh, okay, uh, Anchorman is, is a fine studio comedy of the era, but that's just the one I can think of offhand. But a lot of them do not age very well. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, like I want to say Wet Hot American Summer, but that was not a studio comedy. That was right, a right. scrappy, barely came together movie. Here's a quick story that for just last night of experiencing this where I was trying to tell my husband about and look I'm not even like hey let's watch Family Guy clips kind of guy that's not me but I did say oh this is like that joke from Family Guy and he's like what what joke and I was like it's the one where um, Peter Griffin is forced to watch Frasier to try to get more cultured that's the joke and, and then I was like here I'll pull it up on Hulu and what I did 
the very like in the same joke is a transphobic joke. I was like, wow, it took like a second to have like a transphobic <laughs> joke in this clip from a comedy and not in the year 2000. I was like, it's just, it's God. that fast. You're maybe more likely to find it in that era than even like the nineties. I mean, I know there's, you know, what Ace Ventura or like movies were like, oh, that's right. That is a big transphobic. But like, it feels like it, it feels like it ramped up kind of in the two thousands as you could get away with more. And so all the targets were all put on, you know, people and, cultures that didn't deserve it uh yeah boy a yeah, bummer time when you start adding yeah. it up isn't it <laughs> yeah i mean we have noticed an uptick in that kind of joke uh as we continue on with these early odd seasons for sure that there were maybe a few instances of in the 90s but now i, I feel like they think they have free reign with that sort of content there's, uh, listeners there's more coming in the next couple seasons we're talking about oh, get ready oh, steal bummer, yourselves bummer. but <laughs> uh, but yes i do uh i do like this bit here of edna and skinner their quick first clip uh, because I I sometimes have missed the point of dates with a partner as well and then had a Skinner-type reaction here. All right, Seymour. I'm ready for our romantic apple-picking trip. Yes. Uh, about that, Mother's neck waddle got caught in a zipper. I've... Uh... Got a long night of boo-boo kissing ahead of me. But don't worry, I got you these store-bought apples instead. The apples weren't the point. <laughs> then why were we going apple picking? <laughs> why were we going apple picking? I mean, come on. Apples were bought. We did it. You know what I, What does work for me about the, some of this episode is the, like, yeah, I, 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 you can feel the, like, chore nature to, to the Gene era of, like, trying to deal with this relationship. But um, the idea of mother being a third wheel is pretty interesting. Like, the, and a lot of funny stuff comes from that that is a pretty like good discovery and thing to deal with yeah and it is really true to the characters and their relationship so far because if you see where they started in season one they're so different now and that's through episodes like bart the lover and principal charming and uh, sweet seymour skinner's badass song it's just all of these evolutions of the characters are leading to episodes like this when they're just at 100 percent and they're just fun to watch with each other this does have a little of bart the lover in it as well oh absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah but and then we cut back home to bart He's trying to study, and just like me, in my school career around the same time, if I was given three weeks to write something, I would instead watch pro wrestling or or uh, cartoons instead of doing any research up until the last week. But I, I say it every time, but when there's jokes that remind me that we're after 9-11, they do make me just sad in a little way. And this is <laughs> one of the most like after 9-11 jokes they've, they've done in the series in this uh, this little clip here. Okay, time to start this paper. <sighs> World War One, WW1. Well, that's a good start. Time to watch wrestling. I can't believe it! <laughs> Uncle Slam has defeated Osama Bin Rotten. Wow, here comes Secretary of Hate, Colin Kapow! He's dropping sanctions! <laughs> By which I mean anvils! <laughs> I like I all like, that. I like Osama Bin Rotten. And I like, I think that's a good Shearer performance. I think that is, a, you know, sometimes he can feel a little like literally phoned in. I think for a long time on the show. But I'm like, oh, that's like a big, powerful announcer voice performance, which he's so great at. It did actually feel like him like screaming for the first time we've heard <laughs> him in a while, do. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's how it feels. It reminds me, it's getting into Derek Small's Spinal Tap territory, which is a cool, uh, sure is really good at understated, but then his loud yelling mode is very compelling too. Now, Henry, I, were you watching wrestling around this time? Were, were there? Yes, though. Yeah. 
Were there any 9-11, let's call them characters, uh, floating around? Because I know when I was watching wrestling in the late 80s, early 90s, there were uh, basically Desert Storm characters reflecting current uh, global politics. But I, I didn't know anything about if there were there was an Osama bin Laden stand-in or what have you. Well, this this is interesting, and I could write an entire essay on this, but yeah, it's at the core of pro wrestling is racist stereotypes all fighting each other because it was born out of, well, technically it predates World War II, but its big boom was the 50s, its first big boom, and that was full of like, oh, this guy's a former Nazi, or this is an evil, you know, racist Southern guy or whatever. Or and then, of <laughs> course, with into the 80s, the USSR and Iran were our enemies, so you had all this stuff, and, and they did it into the 90s, but by 2000, 2001 there was this sense of like we can't they they definitely did stories with this but they were like boy if we get too broad people will call us racist and we'll get like phone calls from sponsors so they tried to have like well this is just a guy who is evil who happens to be um iraqi and and then they basically here's one example there was an evil arab character who was a rich arab who then attacked the undertaker with a group of hooded individuals who looked not unlike a terrorist cell and they did that around this time but their timing of it when they did it was when there was that horrific london bombing and when that happened in the news like the same week they ended the storyline there and got rid of the character because they're like ah shit this really it's not fun like this makes people say so they do try to do these things around 2003 but i think good taste had gotten far enough that they're like uh, they couldn't be now they are racist in in a lot of <laughs> wrestling storylines but not in that way anymore wow it's amazing it didn't go further it's amazing that they weren't like emboldened by 9-11 and iraq war to like well now we can go as far as we want <laughs> <laughs> now so, i mean the the xenophobia and jingoism of a of rah-rah america that was as hard as ever uh, around this time but they just didn't make as many negative stereotypes those weren't as successful as they had hoped we have to look to back wrestling for the true political commentary <laughs> yes. yeah <laughs> it's one of those things where the simpsons stays the same or it's this constant and shows you the passage of time like season two has a parody of wrestling that feels night and day with this one like that's how different like that one they're parodying like 80s wrestling and this one they're parodying like then current wrestling so it's interesting how times change through through the simpsons yeah they kept up but, and, and, and uh brett the hitman heart was uh, made a brief appearance between those two right yeah he yeah show up? he sells uh he buys mr burns's uh mansion oh, that's for, right for yeah time. yeah that's funny <laughs> but yes then bart tries to study at the library i also had trouble focusing at the library too though i never <laughs> xerox my buttocks uh as bart does god dropping bart's pants and leaving him bottomless like that feels like a joke is like wow they would not do that on the show now <laughs> though also i'm thinking like Part of Bart's prank now of distributing photocopies of his butt would it would end up framing uh, Reverend Lovejoy be arrested for distribution of child pornography now <laughs> is what it would be. Good to like, keep an eye on Lovejoy. Just as a reverend, just like make sure he's, he's not doing anything untoward. I forgot about this episode, and I, I also forgot that this, this prank goes nowhere. There's no fallout from it. It's just like, okay, next scene. It's a fun prank. And, you know, not to go too far into the history, is this welcome pissed off Catholics thing a reference to the sexual abuse scandals from 2001? Is that... It, did they it, go that it dark? Must, it's got to be related to that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, what religion are the Simpsons? 
I think oh, the Pres Beluthorin? Yeah, Pres Beluthorin I... is the official designation. Wow. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. They developed a little a combo of what they are. They didn't want to commit the Simpsons to any one true faith. Yeah. That's, wow. uh, oh. I also really like this this joke with Ned and the eye soap. I think they made a really smart move there where he says, time for the eye soap, boys, and the kids spray it in their eyes. That would just be pure child abuse. But the fact that Ned then sprays his own eyes, it's like, okay, you know what? He's It's a blanket thing for the family. He is spraying his own eyes and, and facing the same, burning his love pain as he's, he's forcing <laughs> upon his children. <laughs> you know what i also really like the gag of like when bart is distracted again he looks at an algebra book and he's like i could do a few equations <laughs> like that's a good joke yeah I, yeah I that's like smart that. yeah yeah that's a surprising one <laughs> it's very telling how you can be productive in other ways when you have a deadline like i could clean my kitchen in fact i will and then you get everything done but the thing that is uh you know the deadline is approaching for you <laughs> yes i find i was avoiding trying to do actual creative work and ended up cleaning up all the cobwebs on the ceilings in my i was like shocked like this is this this is how bad you're trying to avoid your cleaning cobwebs um, the lengths you will go to not write well because in your brain you're like well if i was just like staring at my phone then i'd feel guilty but i can just tell the guilty part of my brain that like um i was very productive i sorted i sorted through all my dvds in my closet i mean come on <laughs> wasn't gonna do itself i don't have a robot for that we have a very also of its time reference to black hawk down of uh millhouse arriving in a black hawk helicopter with his cousin and bart says black hawk up as a reference to that and uh, millhouse not then, injured uh given access to a helicopter this is the best day of his life it's true this is, he even helps bart with the pranking which i feel like millhouse needs to investigate why he wants to make ke- teen boys kiss each other but i, I don't think he wants to <laughs> and so yes uh the very night that the paper is due bart is finally writing his next uh, thing and that's when this is another good joke of like oh you know what they've never said they've had abe simpson be a world war ii veteran which and with every year the show continues gets more and more ridiculous or it makes him like you know 105 now but even here they're like okay if, if abe is gonna lie that he was in world war one then he would have to have been like three 90 years ago like that's that's the only way it works it's a funny like needle for castaneta to thread uh, uh to do a, a an extremely young abe that's that's a it's a delicate assignment i think he gets it right and he has to uh yeah he has to play abe as a kid to not sound like homer as a kid either and uh and yes also do you have to poop always that's uh <laughs> nice dirty joke i i also wonder how much they're lightening up on the old people joke as the increasing age of the the executive producers on the simpsons now. <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah how can they hate old people when they employ many of them <laughs> When most of the staff is seniors now, I wonder how they feel about these Abe jokes now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yes, then Bart says he's going to spread it all out to 10 whole pages. As we later find out, it was six pages of ads. And I like that it's full of local businesses. You see Costington's, the Android Dungeon, Herman's Military Antiques. You see all real, uh, real businesses. Those are all homespun. We know those are like mm-hmm. truly one person is running them. That's a nice, you know, you, you underrate the <laughs> industrious spirit of Springfield businesses. I'm sad there is not a, a Herman's Military Antiques fake storefront in the Springfield at uh, uh, in Universal. That's one of the ones they missed out on. Henry, you know? is it because is- Harry Shearer does his voice? That 
is yep you gotta be right you gotta be right there's wow. no harry shearer things gotta there yeah all the shears <laughs> though i still find it criminal this we, we said this on our, our wonderful podcast right uh invitation but it is criminal to me that the androids dungeon is not a functioning storefront that sells things like yeah but th- it should be another gift shop they i know they got the quickie mark gift shop and it's fun but it's like you have the androids dungeon right here sell more crap here like i <laughs> i'm demanding more gift shops <laughs> in universal yeah well, they're going to come up. The, the solution to this, how they will rectify this, is destroying the entire city and ride. It seem, it's increasingly seeming like. It's about to become the Yoshi lot. <laughs> <laughs> I was just there in the encroaching. I got scared for a second. Like I hadn't heard something that Springfield had been closed, but it's the thing that used to be right next to Springfield. The animal actors thing has been ripped apart and it's just, it's, it's where the, that fast and furious coaster is going to go. Yeah. So. Kind of shocked. I just saw that for the first time this week. And that's crazy for me. Cause this, that was a childhood park for me. I, I'm sure I went for the first time when I was like six. So like a structure that's been, there for so many decades it was crazy to see it blank i saw a ride through like like here's a here's what supposedly that ride is gonna be like and it looks pretty fun like a coaster through the hills that uses the hills and the elevation the bizarre two level many hills you must climb nature of universal studios i feel like they're gonna (laughs) finally like justify it in a cool way with this coaster that's cool, man. That, but but how can it top the wonderful part of the, the, the Fast and Furious ride that's already there? <laughs> oh, yeah. So many great Fast and Furious. The 3D ride on the tram where Vin Diesel is either very small on a regular helicopter or giant on a little <laughs> helicopter. Or the thing, you know, when I worked at Universal Studios, I was a tour guide and knew that summer was this thing where cars pretend to fly at you and then just uh, spin around and dance to the song Gasolina. Um, <laughs> it's a proud history of Fast and Furious. They've treated one of their, their biggest franchises so well. This is also where we got the opening sound of when Bart is told he's going to have to write himself. I caramba indeed. Like that's one of those jokes where it feels like the it's the show feeling its age. It's like Bart knows it's it's corny for him to say I caramba. So <laughs> I caramba indeed. And so, yes, now Bart is stuck after school. And this is where it really feels like Bart the lover. Uh, and uh, Skinner comes in. He he mistakes her. He jokes that she looks like pa- Pam Dauber, which is Mindy from Orchid Mindy. Yeah, uh, and you I know what? If, sex if that's meant to be a joke about Skinner having kind of like a tepid reference of of a hot woman to compare Krabappel to, I take offense to that because I specifically have complimented my wife with the compliment, you remind <laughs> me of Pam Dauber. I couldn't believe when I heard Skinner say it because I've I've said that and been a little like uh embarrassed or mushy to say it even like i don't know i just you know i don't know if it's weird to say you kind of remind me of pam dauber (laughs) pam dauber is i've always had such a crush on her just this like just just this this beautiful like book smart semen colorado beauty i like her like fashion sense it's like you know it's khakis and beige and and plaids i really was like oh if i could marry somebody who's like mindy and i did (laughs) i tell her such uh so if this is supposed to be a lame thing from skinner i disagree wholeheartedly (laughs) i like choose i mean uh, pam dauber is adorable but i think it's skinner his very vanilla worldview was like well she's a bombshell she is basically marilyn monroe to seymour skinner Oh, I see what, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, no, she, she's no, she's no porn star. That's not the vibe of, uh, uh, 
of Pam Dauber, but the vibe Skinner wants, that's the vibe I want, too. <laughs> we have a Pam Dauber reference, and we have a Robin Williams impression later in this episode. I just realized that. Oh, that's Oh, yes, funny. yeah. yeah. Huh. I didn't connect the two. Wow. That's right, yeah. That's yeah. I, and they're going to have an after-school special, which is, I guess, their version of an afternoon delight, uh, but uh, it's, it's canceled because Agnes needs to be taken out of the tub. There is this, like, weird sexual incestual nature to all of the skinner uh, agnes stuff in this one like that the boo-boo kissing like he's going to be kissing her neck waddle when he says boo-boo kissing and same with like he's helping his gr- mother in and out of the tub they share a bed together and most of all i mean this is getting ahead of ourselves but like that as a baby he crawled back inside the womb mm-hmm. for two weeks so it's <laughs> like boy this is we're gonna have a sidebar this on is, this uh, yeah. And also icing her butt, icing her baboon red butt. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, it's uh, the the intimacy is they're really pushing it hard here. Does anybody I do think this is like a syndrome in the world. And, and do, do you guys do you know anybody who you feel like has a mom wife? or a mom girlfriend because like i'm flashing to people i know who like huh yeah this person's mom does kind of fill some girlfriend roles Mm. for this (laughs) it's no it's nowhere near (laughs) this but there is some funny truth there definitely are mild skinner and agnes's out in the world i don't know what you mean i used to see movies all the time with my mom i was gonna say very normal (laughs) a certain friend of mine may have been seeing every movie from 1986 to 2005 with his mother (laughs) maybe maybe i think it's very sweet but it is shocking when you tell me oh yeah uh, i saw half baked my mom was there yes yeah i saw it any r-rated movie i saw in a theater my mom was there my i mean we like seeing movies together a lot it's uh even uh, now i see her in person about once a year maybe twice a year but we we try to just see a couple movies just for old time's sakes we used to for the oscar season for a few years in a row we'd see every oscar nominee nominated best picture together uh even when i came to visit so uh yes i had dates with my mom i guess one could say but i never helped her in or out of a bathtub (laughs) (laughs) boundaries there Uh, must be boundaries yes yeah well now hey she's uh not to get too personal but i also think it's because my dad would never go to see movies with her ever and so um she needed someone to see movies with now i have a wonderful stepdad who likes seeing movies with her all the time oh that's great okay okay all right so she's but, uh, she's she's got a yes, plus one. Yeah. But yes, I I see some similarities to myself and Skinner. I can admit that. Yes, it's true. But uh, we have told guests how long a show will be, like maybe less, but almost certainly more. Like <laughs> I felt that when telling guests, like, oh, this uh, it'll only be ninety minutes, but almost certainly. And by ninety, I mean two and a half hours. <laughs> yes, hey, I know. Step in. I, I, I my podcast. I, I know what's up. Yeah. See, that's why we appreciate you guys, the Doughboys guys. It's like you are helping. Set the standard of like hey this is a two-hour podcast you're signing up for you're normal (laughs) you guys though you have done some numbers that i'm like now here (laughs) this i will not do what was the like (laughs) toy story 4 Uh, am i remembering that right what's been your longest how far far have you gone i think it's who framed roger rabbit which was almost seven hours but the trick is uh that was actually two recordings but still two very long recordings Mm -hmm. and nothing nothing can be longer than that 
<laughs> we we simply can't allow it. We can't. Your voices will yeah. just uh, sputter out. You'll lose them for days. No, I mean we're sickos, but yes, that <laughs> but that was super premium content though. Our longest regular one I think was like three twenty. I think it was, and that's because me and Bob are both such nerds for Japan that uh, when the Simpsons went to Japan, we talked for three and a half hours about it with oh with God. our guest Maddie, who was just about to move to Japan. Oh wow, wow. Okay, so when another nerd enters the picture. Uh, uh, hey, which, you know, Epcot is probably doing uh, hey, as we speak. The listeners might be looking at this and saying, like, why are they saying this? This is three hours and 40 minutes, this episode. <laughs> we are about we, we, we four minutes in into this breaker. episode. <laughs> Sorry, yes, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, there's there's a quick bit of Edna, very similar to in Bart the Lover, saying, like, who else am I going to date if not this? The school is full of losers. But in this case, set to the I Believe in Miracles song, a favorite of Simpsons, rundown of all of the Bachelors, where they even plug in Surly Duff and Kang and Kodos. Like, and, and George uh, Meyer. And George Meyer, the oh, official caricature of George Meyer is. in his bucket hat. I didn't know he's that was not even He's not even <laughs> on the show right now, right? He left when Scully left. He had right? left the show. Yeah. yeah. Al G was classmates with George Myers and, and friends with him. So I'm not thinking like this is like a mean shot or anything, but they're just like, it'd be funny if, if uh, George Meyer was plugged in here. That'd be funny. Yeah. yeah. Also, they were really in a Surly Duff era because of this, in the large Marge episode. He's also in the window leering at Marge just very randomly. They're like, <laughs> you know, let's have some more Surly Duff. I love seeing Surly Duff at Springfield in Universal and that they yeah. actually had to name like all seven Duffs are not named in that episode episode they had oh, to make up a couple so? for it. oh yeah. yeah there's only a couple listed wow oh so the only canonical full list is in in uh, the physical place universal studios that's cool yeah i guess they're not going to have the party there live we bet they're not having a season premiere party this year for uh for the simpsons season premiere oh yes uh, because- hey, true yeah yeah no nobody <laughs> Nobody's having any fun. Premiere, uh, COVID, and now all this. I don't know when I'll ever be at a premiere party again. <laughs> um, this, maybe I've, I've had my last. You've eaten your last slider off of a tray? Oh, uh, yeah, actually, yeah. I have pay caterers, for flatbreads now. Have caterers spoken out about the strikes yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It is one of those industries that affects. Um, my arm is weakening. I have no... <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to hold a tray if this goes any longer. We have too many sliders. I, <laughs> I'm sad, too, because I felt like this was the year we actually maybe could have gotten invited to it. I felt like uh, we could have... I had a couple emails... I was told I could send this year and now I think that unfortunately it's not going to happen so maybe 2024 we might finally get to go to a premiere party so fingers crossed for you (laughs) but guys you know now it's everywhere but let's flash back to 20 years ago when IMAX was a fairly not popular thing in small time I have a clip here of the Simpsons watching IMAX movie from the widest gully to the deepest trench, holds define who we are and where we are going. And although Rover here may not know it, he is participating in a ritual as old as time itself. He is giving birth to a hole, or considers a dolphin, nature's most filmed creature. Even they have holes, blow holes. Thanks for going out with me tonight. It really took my mind off stupid jerks and their mothers. 
So yeah, back back then, IMAXs were not much of a thing. I mean, I, I looked it up. IMAX as a format had been around since the 70s, but it was very rare for anything to be filmed in IMAX, and most of them back then were nature stuff, yeah. like the Living Sea, Cosmic Voyage, that stuff. I, I Yeah, I associated IMAX of this era with going to a museum, and I think the first two IMAX movies I saw inside the big dome were one about sharks and one about the ocean, so basically the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it was a very functional kind of like clinical format. Not that some of those weren't uh, weren't cool, but yeah, we weren't in, weren't in Nolan era yet. I was lucky in uh, here's another movie I saw with my mom. <laughs> New Year's Day, the year 2000, Fantasia 2000 was showing in, uh, in the only IMAX theater in Florida, or at least in northern Florida. It was at a St. Augustine golf course, and so we drove like an hour to go see Fantasia 2000 on the big screen in a very empty theater on New Year's Day. Oh, God, I saw that. I, that was a big family trip. Like, we kind of did it the way Walt Disney intended, where, like, going to Fantasia is like going to the theater, and it's like an event, and you have to... And, and Los Angeles... It's hard to believe Los Angeles did not have any IMAX theater at that time, so they had to build a special one in, like, a in a field by the, by the airport, essentially. Like, there was a one-off... IMAX facility. What it was a really strange way to see a movie and a movie that's not that great. Then you're like, we came for this. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then now IMAX is like everywhere. But I mean, when I see an AMC IMAX movie, like it's not this size. No. Like it's it's a bigger screen, but yeah. it's not real IMAX. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the the real size is like what you can see in the Simpsons ride. In fact, now that's a true mega screen. Uh, and well, I'm, true. I'm curious if that theater remains. If they do, they finally get rid of that thing and just uh, build a whole new type of attraction building. I don't know. I'm scared. I'm scared. Yeah, yeah, about yeah. That. I know. Yeah. They're, they're coming for you. They've started. <laughs> they're, they're finding every scrap of land in that place, and soon <laughs> our Disney-owned pals might get evicted from from Universal Studios. It's going to become Doc Brown's stroller parking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they still own that. I, I loved, again, on our VIP trip we did, we got the picture with Doc Brown. He was part of our character lunch that included Dracula and Doc yeah. Brown. And I didn't a, hear about this. Oh, sorry. I forgot to mention. Ah, there was so much going on that day. Yeah, we, we got to have a, a lunch is included in that. And yes, characters come to you. And it was Dracula, who was the guy really was. He's like, hey, I'm Dracula. Hey, uh, oh, and maybe we'll have you for dinner and then walks away. But he was like, yeah, I'm Dracula. You having fun? Yeah. But Doc Brown was actually trying with the uh, the difficult. But it's a hard thing, as you guys covered on Podcasts Ride. Doing a Doc Brown impression in a theme park style is not easy. Uh, yeah, keep yeah, it going. pretty specific voice and like physical type too. Who else do they own? They got like Jason. Well, the Bourne. other one I was hoping to get. <laughs> Jimmy a, I was hoping. <laughs> I saw Beetlejuice later, but we didn't get Beetlejuice that time. We got a 1920s police officer, which I thought was kind of bullshit. I was like, what? <laughs> like a, you like, don't have a name. I want named <laughs> characters only, not types. Irish. Irish accent, Henry? No, it was a New York accent, mm. not, uh, unfortunately. And he said he was the fun police. And also, though, all of us at the table were like, we were trying to be nice, but we're also like, we, we're all not in the mood to talk to the nice cop. Like, we're not in that mood right now. <laughs> like, oh, we love funny police officer. Ha ha ha. That was, that was not where we were at. So, yeah, we, we hear a lot about how this digital layering they can do now in this first digital season helped them do such a crazy long pan as this one. They couldn't have done it in the, the physical era of 
of The Simpsons with uh, with cells and all that. Mm. And also, Scott, I was curious, you know, as a showrunner of an animated series, do you appreciate that they reuse the character design for the dog of Rover, that it was the dog that bullied Bart two seasons earlier? And they're like, you know, we've got a dog design. We Let's not make the animators design a brand new dog. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that happened. You know, it's funny. You run into that. You are like, in animation, you can do anything. And then at some point, it's like, well, uh, within reason. <laughs> kind of rookie mistake on my part in my show, Moonbeam City. I remember that we, like, it just got to a point where, like, you know, here's a bunch of, like, mobsters. And then here's a cartel. And here's, uh, I, don't, I don't even remember all the, t- we just rewrote a lot of, like, uh, groups and gangs into the show. And at some point, the... <laughs> <laughs> the production people are like, you are bleeding us with how many, you know how many bodies have to be, dr- is there a way to tackle this that is like, they're all kind of the same bodies and we replace them? Like, oh yes, please. Oh my God. I don't know. I don't know how much it's all, uh, um, but I, I felt so guilty after like, oh yeah, let's, let's keep, oh, we have another great idea where a group of 10 people, most of whom don't have lines, all have to be designed and do turns on them. And uh, so, you know, anybody listening who's ever trying to do animated shows or has to you know go easy on your assets if you can you can disguise it but you know it helps you put the the money and the the resources into something else i've been noticing it a lot more in these later seasons where it's like oh that was a this plumber was a plumber like five years ago and they're just reusing the plumber which is fine i'm not calling them lazy i'm just like oh that's I, smart they don't need to make a new plumber. i really think at this point if they just write a dog is digging a hole in the script the animators just uh wheel over to the dog file open it up and say okay i need a brown <laughs> dog this time <laughs> i think so as you should i mean how cool to get to build a, a library and a cool thing about this it is a crazy thing how quickly so many animated shows get, get canceled and then it's like you're just leaving all these at like it'd be so easy to start making a new one we drew all this stuff already <laughs> now this will all just be in a file that can never really be reused on another show because no other show will ever look like this it's not like if a legal drama gets canceled and then you've got like the judge's bench or whatever then you can use it on another legal show. <laughs> like we can reuse that. Somebody else can rent that prop. It is just like trash. All these assets will never be seen again. So, but so we so these thirty season shows should really appreciate that they have yeah uh, infinite dogs already drawn. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so then it's the next day and everybody is shocked that Bart actually likes being with Edna. We even have Lisa again, this one of those like, boy, the show's getting old now kind of jokes. Lisa, Lisa references something that has not been thought about since 19, the Christmas of 1990. (laughs) She brings up that Bart is the one who put the mothballs in the beef stew, the lyric to the do the Bartman song. Uh, Henry, uh, is it, is it do the Bartman or is it deep, deep trouble? You know, actually it's both, but. Oh, double mothballs. See, I associate it with Do the Bartman. Yes, yeah. I I think, definitely I first think Do the Bartman, like, put the mothballs in the beef stew, in the air, the gloom. Yeah, it's right what he says before he puts on the music so he can feel the... feel the tune that's right before he says just like you can do the bart just like michael jackson i, I think so. i was confused because bart is grounded in both songs and now that i think about it that album has some serious flaws we need to talk about this oh wait we did <laughs> yeah. yeah we did an entire two hour one. Oh, jeez oh wow you've you've been there that, it's, well, did like did michael jackson write this line about the mothballs that, that feels impossible to me that that man wrote a line about mothballs and beef stew was it Macarena? Was it Macarena who you wrote know, that one? I know uh, uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff wrote Deep Deep Trouble, or uh, yeah. he and Will Smith wrote it. I forget what it was. 
Now, is, is Jazzy Jeff working with Graining? And that's why it feels a little hipper. Uh, but I do think it was it was mainly Michael Jackson. I think definitely with the mothballs thing, I think they say that like, well, yeah, because Michael Jackson was like much older. And so he's remembering like when I was a kid in 1968, like this was <laughs> these were the pranks you heard about. But let's not let's not think too much about the Michael Jackson line. You can do the Bart. You're bad like Michael Jackson. Like, let's not think about that. Uh, what <laughs> yeah, that yeah. But yeah. He, well, now you're just he, commanding us to Henry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's too late. <laughs> We're all thinking about it. I always like when they bring up Do the Bartman of like, oh, remember when we did this dumb novelty song like that we're all kind of embarrassed about now? <laughs> yeah, it feels like a confession. Yeah, yeah. Like we, we have to, we owe admitting this. Though I think they all got platinum records technically uh, from, from writing songs on that. <laughs> and now, yeah. uh, we're being uh, very clinical here, but I do want to ask all of you folks, this thing about the gummy fish, it does feel like them doing a Schwarzwelder imitation. And we're seeing that more and more as his presence on the show decreases and he's actually kind of gone after this season right yeah yeah he's he writes one more this episode but he's pretty much a fully remote guy at this point though we asked other writers about this before and they did make it sound like he came in kind of regularly by like the 12th season but it did sound like he had to be sequestered a bit by this season and yeah this there is a certain thing to like oh this feels like them trying to write a schwarzwelder style joke but it doesn't fully work but i mean homer using gummy worms to get a gummy fish and then it's just a fish on the wall that he's ripping apart and eating off like i mean also it's the feeling of they remember like oh remember when we used to do mm, word well let's do that again mm, trophy like i feel like it's been a while since we've heard him, hmm. homer say mm. uh, uh-huh. <laughs> trying to cram one of those in a classic yes well also uh marge okay here is definitely a runner i'm recognizing now <laughs> they give jokes to marge that they're like well that's a little sweaty why don't we have marge say it and then she smiles is their way of saying like yeah this isn't our best joke and like Marge saying like oh you know well they have a latin grammy it's like her shitting on the latin grammys then they pause for just a little smile on marge that she goes like yeah we said that joke we made we said the latin grammys are dumb marge should have been on the enron ride then in that case <laughs> that's the, i was wondering we'll get to yeah yes, <laughs> what a yeah, what a but, joke oh, i'm so curious yeah let's we'll, we'll get there but yes they they then cut to the substitute teacher of the year and the teacher of the year buildings which we then hear it's the most difficult one day a year job there is and i'm wondering how do you guys feel now that he is uh, sadly no longer with us like i totally get why everybody was sick of robin williams at that point in his shtick we were all like you know kind of going like yeah it's all the same he does he does the gay voice he does the black voice he does the, elmer fudd and he says elmer fudd come on and it now it but now i i just kind of miss him and i'm like well these well, did we not appreciate his shtick enough or were we correctly mean to the way uh to his shtick in 2003 Ooh. Good question. I, you know, I agree. As you lay it out, yeah, I do miss him. And it's honestly kind of funny to think about, like, you know, we were mad at this. We were mad at him. Like, there's so much fucking worse shit than Robin Williams in the world that nobody parodies anywhere. Like, like we're, this this is who we're mad at? A <laughs> man of a million I, voices seems very sweet and good-natured. Yeah, I, th- I think the issue was this is all he was asked to do because we've seen earlier in his career he could be a dramatic actor that could do a great job, but towards the end of his career, they're like, well, just do all your bits. People want to see the high-energy comedy that they associate you with, and that's kind of what he was trapped in until movies like World's Greatest Dad came along, and it reminded you of earlier roles he was in. Oh, yeah, yeah the smaller, uh... smaller Rob 
Robin Williams was, was great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he, he did it. I mean, he was in Insomnia just a couple years before this uh, episode aired. I get that people were sick of Williams, though. I also do think that, like, having comedies make fun of other comedy guys, it does feel like a thing. I mean, The Simpsons takes their shots at people still, but it does feel like there are some people like, well, we're not going to make fun of that guy. He's funny, or at the very least, like, powerful, and we're not going to be mean to this other powerful guy on the level of Robin Williams today, you know? Like, they might not be that mean. Yeah. Well, or maybe it's because all comedy is perfect. And why make <laughs> no, that's fun, true. Everybody's why make funny fun now. of it? There's nothing to make fun of. No, no way you could possibly uh, approach. <laughs> Everybody's great at their comedy. Everybody's funny all the time. No, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh. They, they bring up on the commentary, too, that it's also funny that Dan is the guy doing it because he replaced Williams as genie doing a Williams impersonation oh, there yeah. as well. Oh, that's yeah. right. 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 Um, yes. And in theme park mode, I feel like it's him in the, there was this place called Disney quest. That was this like bizarre VR arcade kind of place at Disney world. And the genie is on the elevator ride up and I'm pretty sure it's Dan genie, not uh Oh, am I wrong though? Maybe I'm wrong as I say that. I, Dan I was recall. Parks a lot. Of, I don't think he's now the. I think he still does Genie sometimes, but I don't think he's that much of a Genie. I think they have a new Genie or something. But like Dan was Genie in the Kingdom Hearts games. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Like oh, I got so used yes. to Dan being the Genie that when I went back to watch Aladdin for our podcast, it sounded weird to hear Robin Williams be the Genie because I heard Dan <laughs> well, and everything, and I watched the Aladdin show uh, probably every day for two years. Wow, the the animated. God, I feel like I've never seen that. Was the, who was was Jonathan Brandis on that? Oh, it's still uh, Scott Weinger or whatever the oh. guy's name is. It's it's because they didn't hire anyone famous in quotes. It's kind of the original cast, but also uh, oh, Dan Castellaneta was... as the genie. But uh, Gilbert it. Gottfried is there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. How oh, interesting. There's a real face turn. Uh, Iago becomes a good guy and one of the like central guys in the show. Yeah. Oh. Oh, because they need but... him around. That like if he mm-hmm. he can't be like. <laughs> stuck in a cave or else then we don't <laughs> yeah. get the Gilbert Gottfried fun that was the first thing they needed to deal with in it yes yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah so after they all shit on Dead Poet Society uh, and, and Robin Williams then current shtick then Bart nominates Edna I like that Edna's picture is her looking sad and smoking <laughs> and the, the reason they all pick her is just because they've all heard of Bart and they're like if she can survive Bart then she deserves it they call him the devil in the blue shorts a reference to the devil in the blue dress the, the novel by Walter Mose that became a Denzel Washington movie. It's one of my favorite uh, detective series. I've only read like four of the books in the series, but the Easy Rollins uh, mysteries, but they're all great. Like if, if you like hard-boiled detective stories that also are about the, you know, rough American racist institutions of the 40s, 50s, and 60s, they're great books. Walter Mosley is a great writer. Uh, uh, but it's not shorts. Uh, it's not shorts in those. <laughs> So if you're after no, shorts, no, then you're uh, not going to get that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yes, they announce that she wins. Edna is so happy she starts crying. Nelson laughs at that. Then he wins his Bully of the Year award. It's posed really weird when he wins it that I think it's a little slight animation mistake. Like, the guy who gives him the award is, like, waiting to be wedged <laughs> by Nelson. Like, he's posed wrong. It's a complicated think, move to have the uh, character get wedged by someone sitting at a desk. Like, how, how do you maneuver him <laughs> so that's possible, you know? Oh, true. Yeah, yeah. Huh. It's a tough one. Then we cut to the next day of the press conference announcing it. And so this one, maybe it's it's uh, the Ro- Romeo and Juliet joke is, well, how do you guys read? Because this is how I read it. I, at first I thought, oh, is this a joke about the Baz Luhrmann Ro- Romeo and Juliet? And she accidentally showed that version. Or 
did she do what I heard happened in my school of showing the Zeffirelli version that has nudity in it accidentally? Definitely uh, the latter, Henry, because uh, we watched that version in uh, when I was a freshman and the teacher just let it play. She said, there's going to be brief nudity. You you can all handle it. And, you know, we were kind of excited to see nudity in class, but then it ended up being in a very clinical environment and not fun. And there was an adult teacher (laughs) in the room. So, yes, we saw the Olivia Hussey version uh, in 1996 or something like that. That. I think, and there is a prominent nipple in that movie. Yes, yeah. Well, that's, that's the way to play it as a teacher is to just like it's gonna be nudity. Move on, shut like <laughs> just like shut it. That we are not gonna make this a thing. Uh, uh, that's yeah. That's that's what that's what should happen in these Florida classrooms. Just like everybody, see, deal with it. <laughs> when we when we watched it, our teacher did basically just stop. And then she's like, okay, I, she planned the lesson to end right before that scene, which basically like in, in the middle of the movie slash play, Romeo and Juliet spend a night together and then they wake up in bed the next morning. And uh, both of the actors in it uh, who were teens at the time, and we'll, I'll talk about that in a second, but that they, that they do, they're naked and that Romeo, you see his butt and Juliet, you see your boobs very briefly in both cases. Uh, the teacher cut around that and we had heard stories of, oh, the teacher got in trouble last year because she didn't know there was nudity in it because it's g-rated it's 60s g-rated nudity like you used to get in planet of the apes where you also see some buns in that one too really uh, wow if you want to see Charlton Heston's butt, watch Planet of the Apes. Oh, of course yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes, this also made the news recently because uh, both actors, Olivia Hussey and Leonard Whiting, are still alive. At the start of this year, they sued Paramount because they were, Olivia was 15, Leonard was 16 at the time that was filmed. And wow. uh, they said that they were pressured to do it by the director, that they didn't want to do nude scenes, but they were pressured to do it. And they were suing Paramount, saying that it uh, was tantamount to child pornography and uh but then in may they lost the case as the judge said that it counted as free speech and not pornography Hmm. and so the scene still stands so yes technically it's also like it is underage nudity in that movie now uh, now approved of by the government same with best picture winner american beauty that's That's right they were underage and oh what an icky that must be so difficult to watch today how could you ever watch that now (laughs) yeah Yeah, for many reasons (laughs) although spacey is in the clear but on several (laughs) juries how many many not guilty verdicts do we need before we leave this man alone (laughs) (laughs) i I need i need a dozen (laughs) we gotta rack them gotta rack up so many he's still you can we can find him not guilty as many times as we want i'm still gonna think he's creepy <laughs> a jury can't tell me to not think he's creepy unless he's found legally uh, not creepy <laughs> yeah. like you're not allowed to think this anymore Scott. <laughs> you know another trick i love in this that they uh, this was another embellishment i liked is instead of having it be kent brockman or whatever in the audience they decide for this episode cletus is a reporter so they're gonna have cletus Uh be the guy asking reporter questions (laughs) which is just great i i love that and so this is when skinner learns that he might lose edna forever we've had our ups and downs but i can't imagine life without him bart simpson I can't express how I feel in words, so I drew this picture. These stink lines stand for dedication, caring, and for letting me drink coffee in class. Way to go, Edna! Yes! Yes! Way to go! Oh, oh, follow-up query, Mrs. K. 
If you win this here learning derby, will you forget your kith and kin and leave us all forever? Leave us forever? I'd better pee on this fire. As principal, I'd just like to say a few words about what this wonderful woman means to this school and to me. Webster's Dictionary defines Mrs. Krabappel as... <laughs> Excuse me. I have an emergency page from Mother. This press conference is over. <laughs> Fridge Too Loud is a really great page. I really it's uh, <laughs> the only non-sexual message he's getting from Agnes. Yes. Yeah, the, I also do like, uh, I love a joke about drawing stink lines. It's always funny, too. <laughs> but now it's time for the real meat of the episode, which is Epcot. Epcot talk as yeah. uh, we see through the eyes of a dad, though this see, clearly this is the opposite of how we feel. Mm -hmm. Homer as the adult should feel the uh, it should be Bart who doesn't want to do this. But uh, but this is when we learn where they're going. So because I nominated Mrs. K, our whole family gets a free trip to the awards ceremony in Orlando. Orlando? Are we going to SeaWorld? No. Disney World? Uh-uh. Universal Studios? Afraid not. Leisure World? Sorry, Grandpa. Gator Coach? You wish. Leisure World? Grandpa, you're not even going. Wait a minute. I know where we're going. Oh, it's horrible! Oh, it's even boring to fly over it! Oh, oh God! Wow. You know, it wasn't until I heard the commentary that I realized uh, they're saying F cot and the sign says F cots. But I just uh, I I'm not seeing any real attempt to parody. Just like this is awful. And we want you to know. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. It's like I, you, if you said it fast, you wouldn't even realize it was a. They made it up. I mean, they make the F on the sign, they make it curve as much as they can to make it look like a P, too. Like, it just looks like Ep Epcot, wow. not Epcot. As direct of an attack as you can legally <laughs> get away with. Okay, one thing that I always found weird about it, and I remember thinking this at the time, like, I don't expect people to have the hyper knowledge of, of, of like, the theme park designations. And, you know, I, hey, we've had guests on the show who are great who still can, who do, confuse Disneyland and Magic Kingdom or whatever. These things happen. Uh, or which castle is which. Disney World being different than Epcot Center is really weird. That leaves a strange taste in my mouth. Maybe they thought it was cleaner to a layperson to like, well, a regular, for somebody who knows nothing about this, sees a castle and they think, well, that's Disney World. And then there's Epcot separately from that. But of course, Disney World is the entire complex and the Castle Park is the <laughs> Magic Kingdom and there is Epcot Center. So the so when Bart's saying we're not going to Disney World, we are going to Epcot Center is weird. It's wrong. Mm. That, it just leaves a, <laughs> I, and I don't know, this isn't so nerdy. Many, many people <laughs> go to Disney. This is a very common place to go to i wonder why they landed it's just oh it fucking gives me a headache i hate i'm it. just learning this now for the first time actually i'm sure oh, at one really? point in my life yeah i i was like i i confuse it because I, sometimes i think oh is magic kingdom the entire complex or is that just the park within disney world because kingdom sounds like it should be all encompassing but no it's just a park along with uh, animal kingdom and uh epcot yep. and some other things in there yeah yeah that's right these are the these are the facts that have been firmly in my head since i was seven every exact <laughs> delineation of what everything is no the entire complex is walt disney world so epcot center is within walt disney world magic kingdom it's very confusing because disneyland and 
Magic Kingdom are equivalent things. Like, they are both theme parks with castles and main streets and Tomorrowlands and what have you. And then, you know, Tokyo Disney. Nothing else is called Magic Kingdom. <laughs> Disneyland Paris is just Disneyland Paris. It's not Magic Kingdom at the Disneyland Paris Resort. We get it, boy. We, we, we got to keep all this shit straight on our show. <laughs> um, but I, well, I guess it did it. So it worked for you. You understood the difference between Disney World and Epcot Center. I am overthinking it, maybe. Well, and officially, it is Walt Disney World, not mm-hmm. Disney World. Walt, no, I didn't. Not, I'm Walt just, is I'm part just of the name. one problem at a time. Of course, <laughs> we got a myriad of issues here. But I, well, <laughs> are there just giant walls between the po- like? How are they s- separated from each other by space they or are, by actual are, barriers? If you haven't been there, oh my! It's funny to explain the, these <laughs> basics of Disney World <laughs> lore. They're so far apart. If That's you, what I thought. You get down there, Disney World is huge it's unreal so you are traveling miles between the parks and so yeah the separation you gotta take a shuttle tree after tree after tree there are monorails that connect these things but yeah the, as portrayed in the show the idea that there is one fence <laughs> separating that's closer to disneyland and california adventure yes, which that's are what I'm essentially familiar with. across a little street from each other and it's more like that at uh in paris Tokyo, they're close-ish, but not as much. But only in Disney World are the parks, like, incredibly far apart from each other. The, the sprawl of Walt Disney World is insane to me. That When yeah. I came there most recently, I was like, oh, I can't. I was still in Park Hopper brain of California. Just like, oh, uh, it, uh, it was me and my mom. <laughs> oh, oh there uh, you go. I'm seeing a right pattern here. here. <laughs> Have you been getting uh, any texts, like, Henry, during this uh, recording? <laughs> Henry, uh, no, stop no, recording. No. Stop this episode. My mom loved Epcot. My brother got her a, when she lived in Florida, got her a annual pass. And she went down there like multiple times in a year just for Epcot alone. Like my, mo- my mom wow. loves Epcot. Oh, great. Yeah. Great. All right. <laughs> but, my kind of person. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, gave me a headache. Um, I was also happy to hear, uh, I am happy though to hear the Tier Leisure World reference because that's a real place in Southern California, like a huge sprawling retirement complex where people can buy little condos and my great-grandparents lived there. So it was fun oh, to hear wow. Leisure World. It felt like a very local, something that is, as far as I know is not in Florida, but makes sense grandpa would be interested in it. More of those Hollywood specifics coming into Simpsons. Yeah, you can tell. Yes, there's a West Coast uh, bias uh, (laughs) leaking through. Epcot Center when everything else is booked, which I mean, if you are looking to get farther away in the least crowded part of WDW, Epcot's probably your bet that day, I think. Yes, although I remember going, I I went once on New Year's Eve with my parents. It was literally sold out, I believe. Like, it can happen. You can fill it up. This this is very much joking about 80s Epcot, though Epcot by 2003 didn't have that many new rides. So definitely a few that they reference here were closed by the time this episode aired or were about to be closed for instance the first uh, other than the sphere we see the first direct reference i noted was the building that they're doing they're all meeting up for the award ceremony is the horizons exterior that's what it looks like to hmm. me i don't know about you Scott. yeah it big like angular horizons. building kind of like fans out from the top like smaller at the bottom gets bigger at the top it was exciting to see a simpsonsified horizons building it might be <laughs> i am a real admirer of it's one of the things i love is just those basic shapes of those big crazy brutalist buildings and uh, the horizons building was beautiful r.i.p so i'm glad they they Simpsonsified it. And uh, then uh, Lisa says they're going to go into the future sphere, which is their version of Spaceship Earth. 
But it's more like, despite what Lisa says, it's more like what people in 1980 thought 2005 would look like, really, mm-hmm. uh, right? <laughs> yes, in reality, that's that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. But that line, it's what people, what she says, it's what people in 1965 imagine life would be like in 1987. That is, that feels like an Epcot joke written with love. I wonder if that was a Matt Warburton. Of course, it sounds lame, and but like that's exactly why <laughs> it's cool and weird. Like, what is it? There's a place you can go that's the future of the past. It's like, it's awesome. That's bizarre. I Like, Lisa's right to be excited about that. The actual inside of the ride, though, well, here, I'll play the clip, but I think there's a very specific Walt Disney World ride they are referencing here. Ooh, the future sphere. It's what people in 1965 imagined what life would be like in 1987. Eastern Airlines presents The World of Tomorrow. Don't walk, fly in your personal Eastern Airlines air buggy. And say goodbye to the Cola Wars, the victor, Eastern Airlines Cola. And we're not stopping there, because at Eastern Airlines, world conquest is part of our master plan. Now enjoy the soothing music of the turtles. Air conditioning on a ride is very important to me the older I get as well. It's in a big appeal of boring rides. Like you'll let a lot of stuff slide if you, uh, if you can get cool in there. And this is where, you know, some of the, this era of Simpsons can lose me here and there. And I kind of like, do I care about the story? But th- I think this section shows that like, sometimes it can still function as just a vessel for like great sketches. Almost. This is just like a full sketch about weird Disney future rides. That's very well observed. And like you said, Henry, it's, you know, the Eastern Airlines presence, that is a literally true thing from a Magic Kingdom ride called If You Had Wings, which was pretty blatant, just like airline advertisement. And then <laughs> Eastern Airlines went bankrupt. They just, they don't exist anymore. So it's this huge presence of it. And they just had to like turn it around quick. They made it just like, uh, you know, a generic flying ride. It's an idea. It's a ride about the idea of airlines. And then I think Delta <laughs> took it over. And it's so funny that they have to like, there's a big physical footprint that Disney has to deal with for an airline that <laughs> went away. Eastern Airlines Cola, I think, is my favorite like laugh in the episode. Like they don't. Really it's like you know. We'll just say like Eastern Airlines. We have our own soda, and that will take over also does as well. And then the d- design wise, those horrible robots with the whips with p- airplanes for heads. That rocks. That is <laughs> that's so great. Silly and weird. Whipping I, I all of these weird. enslaved humans, uh, enslaved robot humans, and then the Eastern Airlines flag is flying over the White House. <laughs> yes, yes, and the Washington <laughs> Monument. I, yeah, it's so funny. This benign. It, and this is some pretty accurate Epcot stuff, I feel like, too. Evil corporations kind of laundering their... <laughs> plans and i like like using epcot using a theme park as a place to present a friendly face to the public when actually they're quite malicious and have much to hide <laughs> i mean it goes back to like you know there was a long time monsanto uh, uh presence at disneyland uh, you know and, and another one i mean maybe i'll talk about it more with electric car of the future but yeah it's a, a funny and well-observed thing that these like horrible companies got to like pretend to be our friends uh <laughs> at, at disney world it is part of the fun 
fun, yeah. To know the propagandization to you is part of the fun of remembering these now. But, yeah, but, yeah. You just like, isn't that weird and fun? You just you have to embrace the weirdness. That's got to the flaws have to be something you like to be like a a, a big Epcot fan. I mean, we're not going to get rid of the propaganda smashed us at all seconds in America, so we may as well laugh at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you'll I mean. never avoid it. So why not? Well, let, let's let it be a ride instead of uh, scary <laughs> uh, uh, online accounts or whatever. <laughs> Algene mentions he loves licensing Happy Together, like that it's an easy one to get, apparently, oh. and that they, they put it in stuff a lot. Oh. Scott, especially one of your most controversial takes on Podcast Ride is your distaste for a certain Epcot ride, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. The- <laughs> I, I've, I've run into a lot of trouble about a ride called Living with the Land, and this is a boat ride where you get to go see how hydroponic plants are, are grown. It's like a whole ride about food harvesting. I don't know. I thought there was, and I've seen it online. There is definitely the point of view. It exists. I swear that this is a a deeply boring ride. And I went on it with my (laughs) wife one time and she is just like, oh, how long is this? And I'm like, 15 minutes. There's some animatronics at the beginning and then it just becomes plants. And I thought it was a more common or widespread theme park opinion that this, like, I think I feel close to how Al Jean probably feels about all of it. And I got honest about that on on the show not knowing it would be a torch wielding mob frankenstein style <laughs> that has existed for years people are so mad that i i remember somebody saying scott was such a villain in that episode or like <laughs> i like i guess it, like like that happens on twitter sometimes there's that prompt like what's a take that would get you people would force you into an electric chair and that that is that ride i don't know but i feel like i i really i think an outsider not to throw bob under the butt but i feel like i think you go there and you're like this is the boringest shit i've ever i, I really think an outsider is like what is this hydroponic plant growing boat ride i mean yeah i'll often toss off a comment about something i assume no one cares about and that will be every reply in the podcast comments it will be about that <laughs> that and i'll forget that i even said it i have to like search through the podcast to find out <laughs> you just tossed <laughs> off a, a hateful because well, it was like hate. a month ago and then you're like what what did i say <laughs> like yeah I... <laughs> so yes we then head to their parody of world of motion sponsored by general motors uh, except this is about how electric cars are bad so this is also mixed in with the then current doc of who killed the electric car oh yeah but yes yeah, so let's let's hear a little bit about how uh what what people think of you in an electric car Welcome to the electric car of the future, sponsored by the gasoline producers of America. Hello, I'm an electric car. I can't go very fast or very far. And if you drive me, people will think you're gay. One of us. One of us. So, so yeah, this uh, World of Motion was also very blatantly like the joke was that not so obvious on the ride, but it is like, oh, what's the future of, of cars? It will still use oil. That is the future of cars. <laughs> you do not imagine the future of cars yeah. any other way. I mean, I almost view, that's totally correct. I almost view it as even more of a, a parody of Universe of Energy, which is probably the most malicious Epcot attraction, which is sponsored by Exxon and that makes that explains that like you know one day there might be solar and wind power maybe but it's really not ready i mean they're trying to get off the ground and they're just they're (laughs) so fucked on this it is not working out these solar guys there's they're so sweet but they're so dumb solar is not gonna work out maybe in like 
300 years but for now oil is the way to go and it will be oil like and there's a car there's a comic that they put out where like gosh it's 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 mickey it's mickey and goofy and like gosh seems like wind power could be yeah probably not though for a long time oh come on we're gonna use it's like trump's opinions like windmills are gonna take Goofy. yeah look you're dumb i'm smart i'll explain oh it's oil's the way to go what else can i say fossil fuel <laughs> well, I mean, they now, really put out something like this. It's nuts. Now we know electric cars are cool. They're made by the world's coolest guy. He's not gay. He's got about 13 children he does not take care of. So <laughs> the, the question there is settled. <laughs> yes. yes. No yeah. no homo and just like epic trolling and posting from the ultimate badass. Uh, Zuckerberg <laughs> ran scared. He couldn't handle it. He couldn't be. He'd, he'd piss his pants in the ring. So, yeah. Yeah. The ultimate. Like, yeah. We just didn't have like the icon that electric cars needed yet you know yeah my reaction now when i see electric cars the feeling back then and even like six seven years later south park had their episode like oh driving an electric car makes you too smug and you're a jerk or whatever now i think the feeling is like if it's a non-tesla electric car i do just i have no negative feeling i don't even think the person is like trying to show off or whatever i'm just like oh yeah they have a hybrid like but whatever but if it's a tesla i do still have the like like i cross the street and a tesla almost hits me or whatever i'm like Bleh. like Bleh, it's a tesla yeah Bleh. yeah it developed a new kind of bad uh, reputation yeah my tesla thoughts are mostly how do i open you when an uber shows up just feeling along they like which which directions that like why did you reinvent the handle we figured out the handle (laughs) (laughs) so yes i i I do like the anima the the stereotypical homosexual animatronic saying one of us that's that's funny to me i i I chuckle at that so yeah we then cut to skinner and Willie interaction. This was another bit where I was like, oh, Willie has not insulted Skinner with a weird nickname in a while and calling him a brunch eaten Poppinjay. I was like, oh, what is this, season six? <laughs> like they remember the game. Also, closed pistachio stymies fatso, a funny headline. <laughs> Scott, oh, yeah, yeah. how 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 much time do you allot in in a writer's room to coming up with funny headlines for newspapers? Oh man, I too much. I really try to be like the freeze frame guy if I can. I try to bring that to the table. I even, you know, I got to work on a show, my first Fox, my first network show ever called the show Housebroken. It was created by Jen Crittenden, Simpsons legend, uh, who's a lovely person and so so funny. That was the th- my my the second stint I did on it. I was like, I saw a bunch of doors that needed like funny bird, like animal <laughs> politician names, and I'm like, I'm going for it. That's oh, there's my chance. <laughs> I'm naming all of these fuckers, and I and I did it. Uh, oh, great. So, yeah, I'd love to do that stuff. <laughs> then Skinner is told he needs to go to her. He gets in a number five car and drives off. That's a reference to the opening to the prisoner. Just so you know. I was uh, wondering. Thank you, Henry. I just was googling yeah. yellow car. Uh, not not Speed Racers <laughs> Mach Five. But a different one well and also when you see his little tv in there my first thought is austin powers but it's parodying the thing austin powers also parodied with ah. the uh that was the little tv in the car that basil exposition would tell him things in in, in uh, austin powers movies <laughs> also in a very 2003 joke we get a joke about chevron with techron <laughs> the, the wonderful which they're still selling i still see that at gasoline uh on ads of like oh you want chevron with techron the best kind <laughs> 
Also, to give you an idea where Springfield is, it's going to be 2,600 miles of driving for Skinner to get to Orlando. That's 2,500-mile drive uh, from Los Angeles to Orlando. Just, uh, you know, so where is Springfield? It's uh, Obviously, there's no answer to this. I'm joking. Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) It's impossible in space. (laughs) And so, yes, then this is the the only really, like, international Epcot jokes we get here is this meal they have here. This is where the deleted scene that's at the end of the episode would have been. So just imagine Homer saying the song about pies, and now Marge is telling her jokes about international food. Oh, yeah, that was weird. Well, that's this is skipping to the end, but that's a practice that became very normal in the Algene years where they're like, for time, they cut a scene and they're like, well, we still like this. Let's put it over the credits. And I always feel like they do it slightly to fuck with Fox so Fox can't do an ad over it. That they're like, hey, if we put this over the credits, you can't put an ad for, you know, the next Malcolm in the Middle coming up or whatever yeah, over mass this. Mass magician yeah. secrets revealed. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> this is a very fun mom joke here I like for Marge in this quick clip. Wow, this restaurant is so international. La pizza, their hamburger, Senor grilled cheese. I hope I don't accidentally order an elephant. <laughs> what happened to you two? And it was, honey, I squirted goo on the audience. Now, this is the reference I did get because I was uh, in the audience for Honey, I Shrunk the Audience in 1999, but it was in Disneyland. And I know it opened in Epcot first, but that was lots of fun. I feel like you're not squirted with goo, but you're maybe lightly misted when a dog sneezes on you or something like that. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, kind of on the way. And they and they fake rats touching your legs or something, right? Yeah, like little air jets that like puff out air around your legs to make it you feel like rats are running by bunch of mice multiplying i hate all of those things i don't <laughs> it, it's tough to be a bug is one i really don't like where a bunch of like bugs crawl around your butt i oh my god i stand up i'm just like and i will hover above this seat i do not want that on my body you know what i loved the alien encounter ride. i'm one of the only uh, people who liked that ride when it was new i actually really liked it i like i'd the- probably like it today i bet as a child i'm like no way no way can i handle this looks like the scariest thing ever how about the what? the terminator i guess it's called an audience attraction whatever you call those kinds of experiences where you're in an audience there's a screen there are effects and there's live action actors that that ruled i love that i think it was universal oh yeah that thing was unbelievable i still like and that like that they got to there was like a, a Terminator sequel that was only in theme parks and that Cameron was a part of uh, and all the actors are in it. I mean, like, we all know the, the Terminator sequel brigade is a tough uh, lineup of films. So it's like, really? They only got it right once and it was at Universal Studios. <laughs> and it's it's a, it should be illegal that they closed it. I am so pissed. That's one of my most angry that it's not around it anymore. It made it I- in Japan for a long time. I think maybe now it's gone, but I, or unless I could be wrong, but like I really thought about like it would have been an hour further on a bullet train but I like when I realized they had T2 3D I'm like maybe I gotta go uh, but then I enjoyed the beautiful city of Kyoto instead, and I, I, I ultimately <laughs> I made the right decision. <laughs> That's probably right. No, I, Henry is sitting squarely I, on probably. <laughs> Some well, anti-Kyoto well, sentiment, Henry. Uh, uh, your beloved uh, Nintendo no, actually, was from there. No, actually, I loved going to Kyoto, and we I did choose to do that instead of Universal Orlando when I went. It's I bad. It's a that's a or Universal Osaka. That is sorry. an awesome city, and I, I'm like, you know, look, I know I'm an irony hound, and I know I'm one of the people behind the City Walk saga of long podcast <laughs> series about City Walk, the mall at Universal Studios. But like, am I really going to come across the world and choose a place with a City Walk over? 
Kyoto. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, am I going to go eat like a weird KFC in Japan instead of like the greatest dumplings of my life? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. It all worked out. <laughs> but, you know, the, the fear of being squirted with goo in the audience, that was a heavy one for me as a kid. I was always scared of like any ride that teased they were going to get stuff on you but didn't filled me with so much anxiety. The biggest one when I remember uh, more rides that don't exist anymore or, or uh, theater or attractions. It was the Ghostbusters one they had at Universal Orlando. And the, the guy pretending to be Rick Moranis presenting it said before we went into the room because people are worried you're going to get slimed on the ride because of Slimer and all that. And so he says, you know, if you don't want to get slimed, don't sit in the blue chair was the joke he says. And you, then you go into the room, every chair is blue. And that's oh. how he was like fucking with oh, us. Oh, that's fine. I think I but it that made, That's funny. It made me so scared, but you, you didn't get, it was just, it was the usual universal mist, like just the one little mist. <laughs> it's on all, yeah. every single one of them. But yeah, I, the international experience I had the first time at Epcot also was not good for me because for some reason they hire natives or I believe they try to hire native speakers of the countries to work in those places. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and when we went to France, I simply could not understand this French guy in his speaking English in his accent. I felt like he thought he was so pissed at me, but maybe that was just like a French guy, normal amount of anger. But he was <laughs> that I kept asking him to repeat himself. He's like, do you want this croissant? I was like, what do you want? And he just, and by the third time I asked him to repeat something, I think he figured I was just some teenager fucking with him. But oh, I was, oh. I seriously could not understand what he was saying. I feel really bad about it. Oh, but God. If only you knew if you remembered the name tag, you could apologize. <laughs> and so then we see a little bit of the uh, fireworks show, which I would guess is illumination reflections of earth uh which was replaced by epcot forever in 2019 Hmm. and this is where algene admits on the commentary something we've caught many times right bob yes uh he pled guilty to self-plagiarism because this joke is uh you know them saying we can make our own fireworks and they actually make them and in camp crusty season four uh bard is away and homer and marge are watching fireworks i believe and homer says we've got all the fireworks we need right here and it pans down to a box full of fireworks yes it's yeah, he's in not... four weird whoa it's literally 10 years apart like almost exactly wow, <laughs> it's wow. like 10 years and four months algene says oh it's like a comet that comes by every 10 years we can just do this joke every 10 years <laughs> what but, an excuse uh, wow, wow this is when skinner reveals that he came and uh to visit edna and at first it it tricks edna into thinking everything's fine but no he brought agnes with her he's gonna ice her ass uh in the in the hotel room they're sharing that she paid for her this is when also we get the disgusting joke that skinner crawled back into her womb for two weeks after being born and i think we're um, also officially retconning armin tamzarian absolutely yes oh, yeah, yeah because yeah. as as we know she did not carry him for nine months that would be the real skitter not the imposter but, oh uh, right yes, yes that right. wouldn't work yep. the, yeah all right yeah forget <laughs> everyone forget it ever happened like they said hey we we're defenders of that episode but we know algae not dude, a fan. i don't it's it bonkers that everybody's furious i just saw some list of like the worst decisions ever made on television and that was on there like come on cool it's one Damn. episode that didn't work calm down <laughs> 
She storms off. Homer then invites Skinner to a thing. I think the podcast The Ride has been campaigning for. <laughs> Great moments with Mr. Eisner, right? Love this. Yeah. Oh, my God. If there was an animatronic that was still there to honor the, to honor those days when, you know, we had a CEO who stood for something, who was slightly <laughs> charismatic when a camera was on him, who was <laughs> silly and acted and put on silly costumes. And yes, he was probably just as bad as the current people were striking against. But you know what? I didn't notice because he was in nice little skits with Winnie the Pooh or whatever. Uh, um, we love Eisner and we're Eisner defenders, even though this episode's airing probably in the Eisner decline. Uh, he's not spending money on the parks. He's why California Adventure is not great and Hong Kong Disneyland's not great and they're making all the straight-to-video movies. This is in Eisner decline, but I, you know, I think that guy, I think he was ballsy. I think he dreamed big and, oh, I would die if there was an animatronic show of uh, kick, kick Lincoln out. Lincoln's out. Let's put in Eisner. It's a better idea. Hello? Well, that's what it, it would have to start with that every time. Well, you know, uh, uh, yeah, Lincoln had I- iconic. So Lincoln has the Gettysburg Address, and uh, Eisner has his hello. He redefined hello. Yeah, you know, yeah I also it a feel new like tone, the tone it's always supposed to have. <laughs> today's executives probably would be just as bald as him but they like he had the guts to be bald these guys the the billionaires today they're they're plugging the hair in with the top technology i would bet david zaslav would have just as thinning hair as michael eisner but michael eisner had the guts to to just live that truth yeah he wasn't trying to be a the looker or anything yeah he was he was he was just himself <laughs> then comes a joke they know is lame yeah. on, the, on the commentary oh, this. Yeah. oh my god I think, uh, I mean, when I was younger and got uh, much angrier at television, this really upset me. And then you listen to the commentary 10 years later and they admit like, why did we do this? And Gene is very critical of doing a Carson joke at the end of this very long, sweaty joke. He's like, it's 2003. Why were we doing Carson impressions? Yeah. Oh, good. I'm so glad he knows. Yeah, this yeah. made me so mad. It's and it's not just Carson. It is a, a Johnny Carson character. The you are correct, sir. That guy, Art Fern, I think his name is. I'm not. I'm 41 years old. I don't know about Johnny Carson characters. <laughs> I know what a Johnny Carson impression is. I just know that character because I think John Stewart on The Daily Show would often like lapse into that kind of uh, impression. And I mm-hmm. was not a fan of that either. Mm-hmm. If any listeners know my uh, franchise of the character Craig Healy and uh, Clip Cup, this kind of hack comedian that is a, a character I've been doing with my friend Nick Karasi for 12 years, a lot of it was inspired by like this the insane mugging of Jon Stewart around that era. <laughs> and he would show a clip of like Republican hypocrisy or whatever, and then just like, um, and tug his collar and we're like why this is it's like i know it's supposed to be bad but it's just bad and that's exactly how i feel about the line are you is, is it a clip are you playing a clip? no no i don't have the but we know we're what we're up, talking about though the, yeah uh, uh, it's like mm, that's good social comment satire mm, that's good satire I, my wife had never seen this episode and i told her that line this morning and she was like ah just recoil yeah. like it, it, she like made a face like she accidentally swallowed a bug <laughs> also by like early 2003 nobody's thinking about enron anymore either like it's such a musty joke like 
for 2003. And this and it it's lives just, on a little bit too because this whole clip is in the Enron Smartest Guys in the Room documentary. Oh, so there's a little more of a spotlight on it that you know if if you're curious about the Enron story and you want to watch the kind of official tale of it, then you end up watching this entire scene. And I don't remember if they show mm, that's good sad. They they might even have the sense to cut that. <laughs> <laughs> I love Al Jean is like, can we cut that now? I think is what he says on the commentary. Oh, good. You know, it restores my faith in these writers and these people who've done so much that I that I do love that he he is aware. You know, I've experienced it in the comedy writing career. There's like there's a point where you go a couple jokes too far. They talk about this on the commentaries where like we're tired of these jokes. Let's put in something fresh to entertain ourselves. And then you realize you like went past like jokes that might have been funny seven times in a row for one that was maybe funny once and then never again. Certain jokes they just don't have like shelf and you can feel them you're like why did we put that in last minute that was no we should have had confidence in what was like already been there for a little while so yeah cut this joke now oh my god this is like this is like, you know, like a bottom 10 jokes in the series for me mm-hmm. i really hate this joke. it's an all-time stinker and it just go i oh. i in my, in my head it went off for about three minutes i think but it really it's 20 seconds but jesus christ yeah. it's a long even sweaty the, joke. you know what even the uh, the entire enron thing doesn't bother me so much but the mm, that's good satire and who's saying it what what voice is that is it someone in the yeah. ride is it someone on the ride yeah I, I also feel like just if homer just said you know the ride of broken dreams and then homer says oh you mean the enron ride you know we don't need to see it like that's yeah. just the title well, that's that enough. might be one like, of those the jokes too many and then maybe it like builds yeah. and like oh what if we see it and then what if we say that and that yeah yeah maybe um, they're like hey you know what this aside isn't funny enough but if we see it maybe it's really funny and then they've already animated and they're like well shit it's not that funny but we animated it we man let's, i feel like them saying mm, that's good satire is also their way of saying could this save it if we wink to the audience like well we know this is silly satire maybe it, and, and a, maybe it's a not little funny. like pointed that it's like a you know a political cartoon <laughs> in a newspaper <laughs> it does feel like the uh the adr medic showed up to try to save that joke yes (laughs) what if more people were talking Uh, you can yeah yeah, you can always like oh there's no characters on screen they don't they don't know who's saying i don't think even they know uh what about but it's fascinating to like the process and now hearing they regret it uh, you know it's uh i'm glad they're transparent (laughs) about that Commercial break. Cut back to we're in a good parody of the Monsanto House of the Future, uh, which is where Skinner slept. And, uh, you know, I think it was closed by the time we were children, I think. I don't think it existed anymore in Disney. Oh, that was land. a 60s thing. Yeah, that was long yeah. ago. But they get the look right for sure. But they also capture this melancholy thing I've thought about sometimes. I'm like, oh, these animatronics will never get out of bed or go to work or whatever. They just will cycle through like waking up forever and they don't even have legs like this. That, yeah, yeah. that thought is a little me- melancholy. Yeah, I like that. Stuck. Sad life. <laughs> and this is when, again, we get a good explanation of what Epcot is. It's educational and offers mild thrills. Just <laughs> like it. <laughs> <laughs> so so yes we then have a quick joke of the teachers being uh tested for drugs which is when a guy jumps out the window rather than being tested i kind of wish they umped up that a little bit with adr and we heard him like die or splat on the ground i feel like <laughs> like merkin would have had a death sound at least a car accident uh, yes, happening in the murderer. distance 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And this is when watching from the rafters, Skinner, re- Skinner realizes he's about to lose Edna forever because she'll make enough money to never teach again. This is when he realizes he must make a deal with Bart. And this reminded me of one of my favorite things at Epcot, where he goes to meet Bart. Innoventions. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was the only thing I liked as a teen on that field trip because it was just an arcade full of Sega video games. Like Sega sponsored it big time. So like this was 96 and it had like including some like not released in america japanese only saturn video games oh, it was just like wow this is this is a lot of fun this interventions like that and i guess uh, you guys have talked about club cool a little on on podcasts right yeah. sort of this arcade still exists yeah yeah oh yeah club cool is the weird like coca-cola exhibit where you can try sodas from around the world and uh, yeah i know jason loves this this arcade really good sega arcade and you know what i think you got to thank eisner for all that i think he didn't build epcot and then he kind of did the 90s refresh of it and he's like if kids are finding this place boring knock out this whole exhibit and put a bunch of arcade games in there and he he was right but in this case we're getting grand theft auto references here uh as bart is playing halloween hit and run though Funnily enough, eight months after this episode airs is the release of Simpsons Hit and Run. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they they are working on it at the time this episode airs. Like, Matt Selman's writing stuff for it, and the developers are making it, which some regard as the best Simpsons video game. Oh, sure. Probably true. Yeah. Yeah, it probably is. I mean, we're old because we think the Konami arcade one's the best. (laughs) That one, Marge in the Vacuum Cleaner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, But yes, this is when Skinner makes a deal. Don't look back. Just keep driving. Seymour? Glad you're here. You can help me play Halloween Hit and Run. Ooh, this game is going to get some disapproving clucks. But for now, I need my tongue to talk to you. (laughs) I don't want to lose Edna, so I need you to sabotage her chances of winning tonight. But I don't want to hurt Mrs. K. All right, Bart. I didn't want to resort to this, but... This drawing was found on the wall of Springfield Elementary late last week. All right, I'm in. I'll humiliate the love of your life. Because I like you, I'll even do it pro bono. It's pro bono. I know what I said. This is the worst thing I've ever done. Even worse than what I did in Nam. Then you're supposed to jump to a horrific conclusion, but it's just stealing a a cupcake. (laughs) This also feels like they're remembering like, oh, we used to do jokes about Skinner being in Vietnam. We haven't done that in a few years either. (laughs) Yeah, they did really bail on a lot of basics, didn't they? That line about disapproving clucks, but I need my tongue to talk to you. Like, that's a good, I like that line. Yeah, it's a nice Skinner (laughs) over-explaining after being mildly clever. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like, Bart runs over kids from the Peanuts Halloween special, too. That's the last group of kids he hits. But, oh. So Bart makes this deal, and uh, isn't it? I could not find the movie it's from, but I feel like that's something you see in a million like movies of where somebody gets in the backseat, like "Don't look back, just keep driving." But I, yeah, I couldn't find stories. a specific film it's referencing. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure either, but you know the vibe as soon as you see it. That's funny in an arcade. Yeah, yeah I like that. And so we see the tickets are very available. <laughs> They're trying to figure out who's going to win the Rampy, and this is when the big guest star of the episode comes in. Well, let's give a little listen to Little Richard. Little Richard. Yeah. Little, 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 <laughs> little Richard. And now, to present our final award for Teacher of the Year, Little Richard. I love teachers. In fact, I'm a teacher. I taught Paul McCartney to go, Whoa! Purple Rain! Shut up! <laughs> Michael Jackson just told me to shut up. <laughs> 
a dime to our last three teachers, folks. And the winner will be decided by one final question. Asked by the students who nominated them. So, yes, there he is. Little Richard, the legend himself. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys where he's such a cartoon character, I I forgot it was possible for him to die. And then he did. And then I forgot when it happened because it happened in May of 2020. I forget what was happening then. I think we were all playing a lot of Animal Crossing and we just neglected to read the news that day. But uh, he did pass away at 87 in May of 2020. And I just, I knew it happened recently, but not during that pivotal period in which we were all distracted and going crazy. Yeah, probably, yeah, not properly honored in a way, because what a legend and i also look i'm a fan the same things that the beach boys cameo on and i I love the beach boys (laughs) and i love when they act on shows and much like the beach boys little richard played himself on both baywatch and full house might have been a character on baywatch now that i say it a little richard cameo is second only to the beach boys in terms of delightful cameo (laughs) for me and kind of like inherent stiffness but then he's good when he's when he yells shut up you could tell he he feels that that's like real little richard energy i like him acting there's this tape mother goose rock and rhyme where he's old king cole and uh there's this big (laughs) musical number i i like love it love it it almost feels like The Simpsons is just this like general pop culture checklist. Like, well, have we ever had them? Have we ever had them? And, and I'm, I'm so glad they made it to Little Richard. They're a little shy about telling the story on the commentary, but uh, Algeet eventually tells it in which uh, Little Richard wrote, uh, sorry, re- Little Richard read the stage directions in the script because the stage direction was in parentheses furious. Edna, is that true? And he said, furious Edna, is that true? So they, um, <laughs> it, it is a story that they tell a lot and they're like, well, you know, uh, it could have been a bad day. He, he, I, I, I take it he's used to acting he's done a lot of acting but he was 70 then yeah. and he got to enjoy all the good drugs before or he lived through that era let's say uh, <laughs> so, the drugs were just I, in I, soda I, or whatever <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't blame him for not knowing what stage direction but it is very funny like because I think they had a similar not the same type of thing but when they had James Brown on they just loved how he said like this stage wasn't double bolted double bolted like, yeah lo- that is so that, that so. is burned in my brain yeah for sure and I'm I looking at bad you know musician delivery definitely love it i'm looking at imdb and apparently this was his last acting role and he lived for another 17 years yeah he was quiet yeah he didn't show up uh, on too many things for the last last decade or so Um, you know also i remember you mentioned him with the beach boys yeah him on full house just like the beach boys like and they had a similar joke on that too where he's like i think he's in like a fantasy that michelle is having and he's trying to teach michelle how to say woo correctly <laughs> i forget he's the i think he's the uncle of michelle's friend who's played by it's it's i don't know i remember her first name but small she's one of the smallettes and yeah uh, yeah like it, it, yeah she's offering her uncle to play it said like oh your uncle's gonna come play at this thing who's your uncle i'd love to meet your uncle and then he's the he's a rock and roll legend <laughs> none of them realized right. um yeah he's 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 delightful also these days they would not do a joke where homer thinks he's michael jackson that he's saying purple rain i don't think they do that joke <laughs> so, but it does kind of that, refer to it kind of acknowledges like the i think little richard kind of hated prince like thought he was like stealing it which kind of you know hey the look and the the manner of dressing and the mustache and yeah the joke they give little richard in this is basically him the thing he would always say like i invented everything in rock and roll and everybody ripped me off like that was that was at least the stereotype of jokes you'd give little richard that he'd kind of uh, yeah. play into there was some grammy or something where he was presenting an award and then he opened the envelope and he said and the winner is me and then he just went on a rant about how all the grammys should go to him because he's responsible for all of it so yes 
attempt the perfect joke totally in character of how he actually is so yes this is when bart sabotages and pretend he can't read and i like little richard's little exchange with bart too of like please read son like he's just he's he's very sweet i though also i think like dana gould's in the is in the writer's room now and dana gould has this great joke about how one of my favorites how he says you know if you have your father's voice in your head telling you like you're not good enough or whatever then just imagine that it's it's little richard saying those things instead of it and then he and his his imitation of little richard is ending sentences with woo which is what they make him do in this so it makes me wonder like how much was that dana gould telling them to like oh little richard should punctuate every sentence with woo oh maybe yeah he was there by then yeah. he was on the show yes yeah there's i have a problem with over attributing things they don't say dana gould wrote to like i bet dana gould did that i'm probably doing it too much but. <laughs> yeah you never know yeah. but also people can just like you know affect the culture of the room they're in even if they didn't think of the thing so skinner reveals that it was all a plot and he apologizes i feel like edna should be saying anything in this sequence she is very silent this whole bit here it's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah maybe reacts to this heartbreak this dramatic scenario this is when skinner though pops the question and so uh i think this moment here it's meant to i think it's not meant to destroy skinner and Edna. it's meant to elevate it and try to save it of like oh well then let's continue the forward momentum with these characters and get them engaged and then we can do a wedding later and then i think it's by the next season is when they go like ah screw this flush it down the toilet no more no wedding <laughs> like but no one cares about i this. think they did this this proposal with the idea that they would get they're buying themselves a wedding episode in the future yeah maybe they thought they could pursue this and then they realized well uh skinner being lonely and boring and being you know disaffected and surly that would change too much if they had love in their lives so let's make them both status quo once again everyone must be miserable for comedy <laughs> <laughs> i do like uh, uh agnes screams at him skinner your feelings are ugly and raw <laughs> uh and uh but of course this time skinner wasted all his money on an engagement ring for patty so he has no money for this engagement ring <laughs> to edna but he, they get engaged little richard gives him a ring and i like him putting the ring back on saying like i felt naked with that for a minute there that's a, a good joke about how many how much jewelry he wore <laughs> and then one last disgusting joke with that agnes saying oh great three in the bed which meaning she's not gonna buy a new bed for him but she's just gonna she'll have to have edna sleep in the same bed with her just like seymour does <laughs> then much like how they often felt at this time where they're running out of time or they're like oh we better cut to the chase the award givers are like uh, we gotta cut to the we're running long uh this guy wins the, the julio estudiante <laughs> <laughs> the perfect little movie story within the one <laughs> he is based on the guy stand and deliver is based on uh very oh, similar sure. names yeah yeah we all had to watch that in class right we all had to i think in so the i think it was that yeah, the day before the lord of the rings on the little tv for me <laughs> <laughs> but yes it's a happy ending all around even for homer well i didn't win teacher of the year but i didn't go home empty-handed do you want to check out the bed of tomorrow today? Oh, Seymour. <laughs> I love happy endings. Well, here's ours. We're going to Disney World. <laughs> Step away from the wall. Step away from the wall. Oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> One churro, please. That'll be $14. Oh! 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 Here, 
<laughs> One more use of that song. Now, you've both <laughs> oh, been yeah, to you both been to Disney parks more recently than me. What are we doing with churros? What are we holding at in terms of the price? Well, I check the prices on the ticker every day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I looked it up. <laughs> you know, at Walt Disney World, I saw that a specialty churro is six twenty-five. Hmm. So it's not not fourteen yet. I mean, it's creeping up, but it's getting uh, up there. But at least they're long. At least you get like you know you can split that between two people if you aren't in the mood to you know fully consume hmm. a churro yourself so that gives you some value potentially so if you're buying the dipping sauce with it then you're really you're getting close to 10 you could with add-ons yeah you could almost oh they almost didn't <laughs> go high enough with that number speaking of how japan does it better it's hard to go back to the regular american uh disneyland circular churros because yeah. the churros they make in in disney sea they are shaped like a mickey they're a mickey churro like as in you know it's a long cylindrical uh, I, I, I i'm miming a perfectly normal thing <laughs> yes as you uh, crank up and down a, yeah. a big shaft uh, that's how you hold yes. a churro <laughs> but yes it's the regular cylindrical churro but if you turn it to face you it's not a circle it's the three circles of mickey yeah oh, i forgot that part of it mainly i'm just like they are so good they the their specialty churros are fantastic this potato churro i had in disney sea it was like it felt like a like a very elevated breadstick like uh god i love that <laughs> I, I i dream of that one of the top 10 attractions in the park is the potato churro. I'm a pro churro man. I think it's a good way to start your day at a Disney park. Uh, I agree with you guys and and, and Mike Mitchell that it's a perfect oh, uh, yes. yeah, uh, start that's of the right. day we, thing. Yeah, we did a whole churro thing with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, agreed. And it can be like a stomach settler too. You know, if you're getting on a coaster or getting off or you just need something really basic, you know, mm. just like uh, line the stomach a little bit. So, you know, it can help you physically with your park momentum. Though, if you're Al Jean buying like three or four churros, for your whole family i'm sure he's really feeling the cost of it <laughs> that so might be yeah this does seem to come from that place yeah for sure <laughs> also on the simpsons ride it actually has a pretty good churro joke in it where when bob when sideshow bob breaks into universal he finds a dumpster full of day-old churros and bashes in uh barney's head to knock him oh, out oh that's the weapon and the rider right yeah yeah, yeah. it's fun that that uh that ride has so many disneyland jokes in it because they're just like we are just going to do all theme park jokes it's not going to be universal specific yeah you get a little bit you're like wet and smoky stunt show like they'll hit universal a, a little but yeah you really feel that and we didn't i don't think realized how much it was matt warburton until we were talking to him on our show and uh it was uh, that ride i was always like it's gotta come from like somebody's gotta really know or like a bunch of the writers do and then clearly i think i think i was fully a matt warburton like passion project and and it shows and i bet he he must have gotten jokes into this this epcot run too for sure yeah. it's it is I, very well observed I, you know, I don't like that it's a negative on Epcot episode more than not because Epcot has given me so much joy and I'm, I'm such an Epcot fan, but I do think a lot of it is very well observed. So I, I can't say they got it like totally wrong mm. other than Epcot being different than Disney World, which is stupid. Should have, <laughs> should have cut that one joke and you should have gotten that part right. Those are my qualms, but otherwise uh, a fun episode. I guess final thoughts for me is, you know, I have to treasure the few Edna Skinner episodes there are and uh, I do like that because of that content. At the same time, there's maybe five minutes of that in this episode. It's mostly Bart studying for a uh, to take a term paper or to write a term paper and then just jokes at the expense of a theme park they hate. But mm -hmm. it seems very authentic based on what you, you two are telling me, except for the how the park is split up. 
You're right, the plot is very sidelined in this, and I guess I don't mind because it's like the rare... To get a ton of jokes about a thing that I really specifically love, uh, to run all that through the Simpsons filter was it was very cool. Not to say a thing we always say, but I do feel like in the Disney Simpsons era, you wouldn't get this much meanness or jokes about why, especially not being this outright of like, Epcot sucks. You would never have an episode of Simpsons now saying, Epcot sucks, don't go to it. Like, you would not have that. That's nuts. On the you, show. Go, you have to go to Disney Plus to find Homer yelling, it's boring even to fly over it. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. it so weird. But great. I love that they didn't like censor it or something or, you know, I, One, I, I'm glad they let it be there. And when the Simpsons ride eventually transfers to the Disney parks, if that ever happens, they're not going to have as many jokes about how like, hey, you know, it's expensive to go here and there's crappy churros and kid rides suck and all these things like all that meanness is not going to be there. I don't think when they get. on. Yeah, yeah, the, true. Uh, you got to be too, too brand positive, which I think is crazy. As I said, I think the flaws of Epcot, you have to embrace. That's part of it. I think the flaws of, you know, our show, we do shit on things about places that we love and places we go over and over again. Again, I think the warts and all of theme parks is like part of the fun. Of course, they aren't perfect, idyllic places, but you got to embrace that. And I like when theme parks will make jokes about themselves, you know, they, they mm-hmm. should. You know, my last thought on this episode, it, it pretty much mirrors all you guys, but I also think about how the last joke of the episode is the post-credits thing with the pie song. And the joke is that Homer just leaves and the song stops and, the, you know, Marge says, I'm on vacation. Meaning, if I were to follow Homer, we'd have to write more lyrics to this. But no, we're, we're taking it easy. We're not <laughs> writing a full song here. We're writing, <laughs> no, we're writing not, a not few lyrics and that's it. Not, yeah, no, 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 no that, bullshit. I'm on a trip. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, though apparently they did have more lyrics to it. Or this could be Matt Selman being his sneaky little self. He's the little devil on these commentaries, <laughs> Matt Selman. Oh, was, but he's, he's joking about how like, oh, they wrote a lot of songs about what's in pies across different lands. And they were politically incorrect pie jokes. And, <laughs> and I was like, did that? I wonder, did that really happen? Or is that just Matt Selman trying to say uh, to get another writer in trouble saying he wrote un-PC <laughs> jokes? Well, I wonder. We have to ask Dan Graney. I think we have his email address, Henry. That's true. Yeah. That's our next question. Apparently, he was the big proponent of the pie yes. song. But, oh, sure. but anyway, yeah. until then, <laughs> until our answer comes in, uh, Scott Gardner, thanks for being on the show. Please tell us where we can find you online and more about Podcast Ride in case our listeners have not heard it yet. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, as evidenced in this conversation, big Epcot fan and big fan of theme parks. And I I do the show Podcast the Ride with my friends, Mike Carlson and Jason Sheridan. Bob and Henry were great on it not too long ago. We should come back sometime soon. But we talk about different rides and theme parks and deep dive. And I'd like to think you don't even have to have all the stuff memorized to know, uh, to, you know, celebrate the kind of odd stuff that we find. And, you know, I could say, look me up on Twitter or X, but what a wasteland. I don't want to do that. You know what? (laughs) I I mentioned it mid-episode, and I am, and maybe relevant to your audience, I was very proud to get to work on a Fox animated show, being a lifelong Simpsons fan. So I will say, if you want to check out a fun animated show you've never seen, this show Housebroken, created by Jen Crittenden, who wrote so many of the great season six, seven episodes, I think. I got to write an episode called Who's Nocturnal uh, that is up on Hulu. So if you have the Disney Hulu bundle for Simpsons purposes, (laughs) and you want to see what a Simpsons great has done since then, and something I got to help with, to look that up. I was excited to get to do that. 
and listeners should definitely check out Saturday Morning All Star Hits, and we are our podcast about it. We did with you too. That was that was one of our favorites. Oh yeah, the show I did on Netflix with the great Kyle Mooney and Ben Jones, geniuses both, good friends both, and one of the best things I've ever gotten to do. I hope the joy shows if you watch. Hopefully, a very joyous tribute to '80s, '90s animation and TV. Thank you so much, Scott. Yes, thanks, Absolutely. Scott. Oh, such a blast as always, guys. So happy to do it. Thank you so much to Scott Gardner for being on the show. Please check out Podcast the Ride. But as for us. If you want to check out more of what we do and get these podcasts one week ahead of time in ad-free, please go to patreon.com slash talking simpsons. If you sign up for five bucks a month, you get just that, but also access to our vast, vast catalog of miniseries episodes. Over 150 full-length episodes about things like Futurama, King of the Hill, Batman the Animated Series, The Critic, and Mission Hill. And that five bucks a month also gets you regular access to monthly new episodes of Talking Futurama and Talking of the Hill. And that's all happening behind the $5 paywall only at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. And there is a $10 level as well. When you sign up for that, you can access all of the $5 stuff naturally, but also one mega long podcast once a month only for patrons of that level or higher and what is that henry bob's talking about the what a cartoon movie podcast or monthly exclusive on our patreon where we cover an animated feature film super in depth just like we do an episode of the simpsons which often means talking for over four five or even six hours this month at the end of september we're starting up spooky season right by talking about corpse bride the tim burton well not directed stop motion film is spiritual sequel to the nightmare before christmas and before that we did a summer of pick are Toy Story 4, The Incredibles, A Bug's Life, and Cars, all covered in super duper detail. We are nearly at five full years of What a Cartoon Movies, covering everything from Akira to a goofy movie, and our longest podcast ever, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, six and a half hours of chat, all of that at your fingertips. If you go to the $10 level at patreon.com slash talking simpsons today, head over there to check out everything you are missing. So as for me, I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo, and my other podcast is Retronauts. That is a classic gaming podcast all about old video games. You can find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts and sign up there for two full-length bonus podcasts every month. And I have a book coming out this month in September. It is the Boss Fights book volume all about the classic point-and-click adventure game Day of the Tentacle. You can find that Boss Fight books volume wherever you find delicious, wonderful books. So, Henry, how about you? You can follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. I'm always tweeting up a storm, and, you know, in the other places, I'm also H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. And if you're following me and Bob on social media, you should do the same for Talking Simpsons, because the official at Talk Simpsons Pod on Twitter and Instagram and all these other cool places, you should follow that to stay in the loop whenever new stuff goes live on the Patreon, on the free feed, when we've got live shows like the one we just did this month at PAX in Seattle. So many cool things at talk simpsons pod on social media and of course if you want an easy list of all of our free podcasts we've released of talking simpsons and what a cartoon head on over to talking simpsons podcast.com thanks so much for listening folks we'll see you again next time for the latest episode of our community podcast talk to the audience and we'll see you then Great stuff. I can pad it out to ten pages. Good night, Grandpa. But I'm not tired. Good night, sleepyhead. Do you have to poop? Always.